Street epistemology is a wonderful approach that anyone can learn. You can learn more about street epistemology at streetepistemology.com. What's up, everyone? Boy, do we have an interesting review for you today. We're not going to be reviewing a video, but we're going to be going through a list of questions that came up when I gave a recent talk to Center for Inquiry. They invited me to speak about ways or tools that you can use to have more productive conversations on difficult topics. Of course, that's what we do with street epistemology. So I gave a talk on March 9th called Tools for Non-Confrontational Discussions. It was actually pretty well attended, probably one of the best attended talks that I've given online, maybe even in person. I think we had close to 600 people watching that live, but I'm joined here with my friends to go over the list of questions that were remaining. I, we couldn't get to all of them, but there were probably a good hundred questions left that I didn't want to just let, leave straggling out there. I wanted to actually address them. So I thought I'd have some of my friends uh, who are familiar with street epistemology join me. Welcome fellas. Hey, you guys doing good? Hey everybody. Yeah. I'm doing glad great. To, glad to have you here. Yeah, I, so I was like, what do we do with this list? I could make a blog post. I could do a video alone. And I thought, well, let's get some let's get some other views here. Let's let's talk about this list. So we um, so the people at CFI were kind enough to give us a spreadsheet of the list, and I think we grouped them into three or four different categories. Uh, the main categories that are important today are questions that we've categorized as. Um, the answer would be go to a training class, <laughs> which, mm -hmm. we, which we we can give you more information about that. But yeah. then there were other questions that were more involved. So I think what we'll do is we'll go through the list of um, of classes. Do you guys want to say a few things first? Did you guys catch the talk? I should probably ask you that first. Did you watch it live? I did. did I watched it live. Mark? I was one I of those 600. No, <laughs> You're just standing there like, I didn't catch it. Yeah, we'll we'll put the that's okay. We'll put the link to my talk in the yeah. video, video description here. Yeah, uh, but you can check you know check it out. It's so what I did for anyone wondering, I took the conversation arc that uh, well I took I took the arc of modules that make up the SE course and turned it into I just called it the conversation arc and those ended up becoming my slides, which I think you can actually download from the CFI website as well if you want to have what those uh, have those slides, and so I talked about the major milestones of a conversation. And then we got all these questions and we got, mm -hmm. we got to a few of them, but there were some, a many that we just couldn't get to. So there might be references to the conversation arc or something that I may have said during the talk that may not make a lot of sense to you if you haven't watched that talk, but maybe you can check it out. So everyone here, but Mark has watched it. Is that right? So no, I missed it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> That's okay. I I so about Havsies, that's perfect. More than likely, you'll be able to contribute to these questions, even though you haven't seen my talk. But let's get through these. I'm hoping I've seen like four of your talks, Anthony. I'm, I love I love it when you do lectures. That's great. The, I'm, the, I'm very excited the, to see some Q and A here. <laughs> even though the talk the talks that I give are fairly similar, the questions that I get are often similar as well. There weren't too many questions in here that I was surprised by, but that's good because these are the typical questions that you'll get if you present on street epistemology or you promote it in some way. So I think this could be useful for people as well. 
Uh, Dolly, do you want you want to talk a little yes. bit about our methodology, yes. how we're going to be going through these? Yes, please. Um, uh, I found 20, less than 30 of the questions had the simple, obvious answer, come to practice. And I'd like to cruise through those with you because they're really good questions. And, uh, and, and I'd like to ask if any of you have anything you'd like to add more than just come to practice as the answer as I go through them. Uh, Ava asked, I think I expected more guidance in reducing the defenses and being able to talk with someone who is an everyday Joe. I hoped for more ways in. Yes, Ava, that's the kind of thing we do in practice. And I look forward to seeing you there if you manage. This though reminds me, this could be a good topic for a, a future talk or video is mm -hmm. dealing, dealing with resistance. I bet you can make, or somebody can make a complete talk just on tips for dealing with people who are throwing up roadblocks per, and that may not, mm -hmm. they may not even be aware that they're doing it, but ways to navigate those things can make for a good talk. But yeah, show up to the mm -hmm. practice and you, you go over that quite a bit. It'll have a sub bullet point thought terminating cliches. Cause that's a pet peeve of mine. Carol asks, how do you set up the discussion when the person is probably very defensive to begin with and likely would think you must be asking in order to change them or debunk them? Or otherwise, why would you want to talk with them in the first place? A uh, goal setting, very important. And we do so in practice and talk about how uh, goal setting is also part of the course that we're developing. Do you guys want to add something to that besides just show up at the training session? That's a really good question by Carol. Do you ever get this reaction? I've, I've heard of people coming to the SE community saying that they've received this reaction, but I personally haven't. And it's probably because mm -hmm. I, I'm usually starting conversations with strangers who have no idea what street epistemology is. But then again, I also try yeah. to explain what it is I'm doing and that I will ask questions. So I try to acknowledge that potential hesitation from the part of my conversation partner right at the start. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I do too. I, I think I don't so much get this reaction personally, but I usually uh, assume it's going to be the case and talk talk to it ahead of time. Talk about goals. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is really kind of part of the consent part of it, isn't it? Mm -hmm. you, should cover you should cover this. And then I think you, the defensiveness of your interlocutor will probably go down if you've revealed everything that you want to cover and you stick to it. Yep. Dana asks, what do you suggest when individuals have historical and cultural reasons to be skeptical of traditionally reliable sources. Uh, mm. Do you have any, any, uh, you know, if I'm dealing with somebody who says uh, mainstream media is trying to lie to you. And so you shouldn't believe anything right. that has, you know, more than 30 viewers. Of course, there's nothing to listen to at that point. Uh, do, do any of you have any, any direct in on how to deal with, uh, what I usually, mm, yeah. Source blindness. I'm not sure what to call this. It's not maybe source, maybe source resistance, because it seemed like from that question, they were saying they've, they've wronged me in the past and now I'm soured mm -hmm. by them and I'm not going to trust them anymore. So I might ask mm -hmm. something like, is everything that they produced untrustworthy or just some things? And hopefully mm -hmm. they say, well, yeah, there's probably some things that they produce that are good and true and other things that are not. And then, then I'd ask the yeah. SE question as well. How do you determine which are the true ones and which are the false ones? And now you're not talking if, about if the my source. my bank counted anymore. my deposit correctly all but 1% of the time, that's not good enough. 
Some mm. sources need to be darn near perfect to be useful. Yeah, I think the I think mm. what she means from the question would be like an example. Uh, vaccines are dangerous because I've had a cultural history of scientists and doctors in high positions who have lied to my family and ancestors about the risks and nature of vaccines uh, they were asked to take. So I believe that it is dangerous to take a vaccine, uh, and I believe this with a high confidence, and we shouldn't trust scientists and doctors. And I think yeah. maybe that's sort of the kind of the question she's getting at. Uh, we do this in. Um, I want to know the motivation behind their, uh, behind their distrust, and what's mm. motivating that, and get them to talk about why they think that, or what are like, the sources? Where, where's the distrust? What are, what, what are your trustworthy sources? Would also probably be good too. Yeah. 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 Switching and to are which you ones reliably you distrusting this person. <laughs> yeah. Are, yeah. are, and, and are they using the same rules to discard and select? Are they discarding for one reason and selecting for another? Mm -hmm. That's a tough question, Conspiracy by the way. You, you can see we're, we're spending time on it. Um, that's yeah. a good one. Very good question. Yeah. All right. Oh, and yeah, some people have said that I sound like Robert Downey Jr., but I don't get it. <laughs> it's a good thing. I don't know. It's not the first time I've heard it. Really? I've heard that too. Discombobulate. You've heard that you sound like Robert Downey Jr.? No, I've heard that you do. <laughs> okay. All right. What's, what's I, next on Danny our... asks, I yeah. struggle to keep my cool with hot button topics. Any advice on what to do if we find ourselves getting too emotional or defensive during the course of a conversation? My simple answer is, Practice with people who are pretending. It's really a lot easier for an actor to not lose their temper with their acting partner who's attacking them with a rubber knife that they know is all fake. And you can simulate. You can become used to those stimulus when those stimulus you know are not actually a sign of danger. And we do that in practice. We call it steel man. Mm -hmm. This is where yeah. you and I are different, Dolly. I, I feel like I struggle <laughs> with role play. Like I can't, for some reason, there's something about like, right. I want to know the, the true sincere reason why somebody uh, is thinking something. I can see why role play is really helpful, especially if you're trying to put yourself in someone else's shoes and try yeah. them on. Um, though, what if I were to uh, try to answer for you the honest answer that Mark would have? And I'm guessing. Right. I Would see that, that be beneficial okay? for you. <laughs> how is that? So with this, oh, no, it's, it's like, beneficial for how, you. how do we stay cool? How do we stay cool when we ourselves are feeling frustrated because this thing this other person is saying is just ridiculous mm -hmm. to us? Is right. that how I'm reading? Am I reading it right? So like, yes, for me, I'm trying to keep in mind what my goal is. Yes. And if I let myself, if I'm frustrated, I'm the one that's closed-minded to this idea. Maybe I should be listening to what it is that they have to say. I am um, quite closed-minded to flat Earth. I'm very closed-minded to flat Earth, right? Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, if I, but if I, I lower that, <laughs> my temper, I might be able to 
they will yeah. see how calm I am and they'll probably be more comfortable giving me their real reasons. And that's another thing. Like a lot of times I, I see you listen. saying the really good reasons, the good logical reasons. And my answer is addressing the mechanism of how to get our emotions to stop poking out at the wrong time. <laughs> I, I'm talking yeah. about the practice of how to actually moderate one's emotions by, by a certain mm. kind of practice, not the motivation mm. which to do so. Uh, not how to suppress them, but more so. But, you know, paying attention, right, to, right. Your, paying attention to your emotions can actually be pretty useful. Um, you know, I think sometimes we can think of street epistemology as something best practiced devoid of emotions, but I think that emotions can be a guide, especially if, well, if your IL is showing uh, some intense emotions, I think that tells you some things, mm -hmm. but also kind of, I think the literature would suggest that, you know, for change to happen, whether it's your IL or yourself, because you could change too, you mm -hmm. could change your belief as well, that if for good for change to happen, there should be a, a little bit. I mean, some anxiety. Some. I mean, you don't want to be. And this is, you know, representing my view mm. that in order for meaningful change to take place, you need to have a little bit of anxiety because then you're. It's a it's a motivation to reduce the anxiety. And there's different ways you can mm -hmm. reduce anxiety. One, you could compartmentalize the belief, and that would reduce the anxiety. But you could also um, change your belief, and that's another way to reduce that anxiety as well. And anxiety occurs when you're having a mismatch between maybe two different beliefs or logic and a belief or something that's not jiving right, and it's increasing this anxiety. So I think it could be useful in some sense, mm -hmm. and I think in yourself too, because if you're experiencing anxiety and and you're talking to somebody, and why am I experiencing it here? I think it's it, it's it's a guidepost. It's telling you something. Mm -hmm. mm. Your solutions were much more further along than mine because my, my recommendation would be just recognize the topics that you lose your cool on and set those aside until you're ready. Practice on safer topics until you can recognize that you're getting perturbed and you can reflect on how you overcome it. But I think what you guys are suggesting is go with it and maybe in role play in, in your instance, like you use somebody as a proxy for the belief and then maybe you've distanced yourself just enough to get over the hump. Those, those are really good suggestions. Yeah. I'm also noticing that we lost Reed and he's our, he's our screen navigator. Oh, he's back. Okay. Just I'm, in time. I'm, I'm trying to add the questions as banners. So I'm just kind of distracted. So I've, I've checked out, but I'm still here. No just worries. Grab another pizza. The, and, uh, the next question is yeah. almost the same question. Slight dip twist. David asks, if they say something I disagree with is one thing, but what if they say, what if it is something that defies logic? How do you respond to the completely nonsensical? You come to practice and practice on somebody who's trying flat earth on you and see if you can take them seriously enough to understand what they think and their reasons for thinking so. You do not have to agree. At no point do you have to say, oh yeah, the earth could be flat. That's not required. Can you hear them out? And come to yeah. practice for that. Yeah, I think it's completely acceptable to say if if they ask you, or even if they don't, you can reveal your hand to say, "Yeah, I'm not on board with that." Mm -hmm. Of course, that risks the rapport. It risks jeopardizing rapport, and mm -hmm. it can you can increase the offensiveness. Um, yeah. But it's if it's where you honestly stand, and it's probably you're probably not the first person that they've encountered that don't believe what they say. 
So yeah. it's not it's not a, a death blow to the conversation as much as maybe yeah. we worry that it could be. The more radical the, the perfect claim, time. the better you are on the scale. What do you think, Mark? Listening. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I guess if someone asks why, uh, someone asks, uh, oh, they believe that uh, dragons are real and they live amongst us. And I think that would be a fairly illogical belief on the face of it. So I guess mm -hmm. that's the kind of question we're talking about. Um, yeah, lizard people. Yeah. So if I asked you, Dolly, like, I mean, if I said I believe firmly that dragons are real and they live amongst us, and yes, we should all we should all pay attention to these dragons, and I believe it with a high level of confidence, yeah. what would be your next? Do you have? I mean, I'm trying to put you on the spot. Like, what would be? Your Thank you for telling question? me high level of confidence. Could you tell me your favorite reasons for thinking so? Because dragons if we're time framed. I'll ask for your best reason. <laughs> yeah, because every culture has had dragons in it. And you know, mm -hmm. from China to Canada. Okay, <laughs> I don't know. Are there things that are common in cultures that aren't real? Uh, I don't know of any. Do you have an example? <laughs> this is the role play that Nathan hates. Yeah, right? ex exactly. So, <laughs> I, 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 and and yes, I could I could I could work for an example for that, and I probably would go something like your ancestors are looking over your shoulder. Uh, it's a common idea, but not, uh, we don't have good reason to think so. And that might also help me find out what other beliefs they have connected to it. Yeah. In some ways I find it, I find it easier to have, to do this if it's a truly illogical belief or a belief that I have no connection with, because mm -hmm. then I just kind of go by the numbers, you know, instead of, uh, yeah. kind of getting distracted. Yeah. Yeah. I, I find myself going by the numbers in all the categories. I can completely believe it could be something plausible. It could be something completely ridiculous. So if I hear something completely illogical, like um, A does not equal A, sure. then Logical, I just... Uh, <laughs> linear superposition. That's quantum theory. <laughs> Um, yeah, you guys, okay, you guys so. should go then. Okay, try that. <laughs> <laughs> that. That was two weeks ago, a talk we had in practice. Go ahead. <laughs> If it's about something more concrete um, in our everyday experience, then I might mm -hmm. slow down and I mm -hmm. might pause and I might consider it and then I'll repeat it back and then mm -hmm. um, I'll just make it more abstract. Can a thing be itself and not itself at the same time? And what does that mm -hmm. mean exactly? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd ask, how does that work? Yeah. Can you can you walk me through it? So exactly, what I was realizing here is no matter how wild the claim is the type of questions that we would ask really doesn't change whether yeah. we think it's fantastic or it's plausible you would still do many of the things that we're doing in street epistemology it's just that um you'll often hear things that just they seem so wild and you wonder how do they believe this thing and it's it's up to you i guess as the practitioner if you want to pursue it but yeah i would say it's it's game if they want to explore that go for it Mm -hmm. there, there might be some value to keeping the questions on the screen, even the, even these ones. Is that too much to ask? Okay. Glenn asks, how do you deal with interlocutors whose answers reveal that they seem incapable of logical or critical thinking? Uh, that's the same answer as we just did. So I'm just, mm. yeah, it, that's almost the same question. I like this next question. Glenna. Glenn asks, if you had to talk with a creationist, how would you start? 
I would mm. start by practicing on somebody first and not go with a real one the first time out. Really? Nathan, Why however, he would just hmm. go right in there. He'd get yeah. a steamroller. <laughs> oh, find me a creationist. Hit him What's up. What's your reasoning, Dolly, for that? Uh, because my opportunity to deal with creationists, uh, uh, if I practice a little bit first, I will make and learn from several mistakes that I'm, I and other people will make so that I don't waste an interlocutor. I could, if I'm, if, if I could make mistakes and ruin rapport for several people before I learned to not do that. Hmm. So you have the advantage, privilege, I might say, of yeah. having direct access to a group of people that you can practice with. Oh, a lot yeah. of people, a lot of people don't have that. So um, that's an option for people who are watching that. That's fine. You can share mine. Yeah. Yeah. I think the the first thing that I would ask a creationist is. Is their belief that God is real dependent on evolution being false? Yes. Mm -hmm. And that wipes it or right out. Like because if they say, yeah. well, no, I'd still believe in God, even though, even if evolution was true, I would be, mm -hmm. it would be tough for me to want to keep talking about creationism with them. You'd mm -hmm. ask that uh, question. They were an before. old earth guided earth creationist, it, it, guided evolution creationist. You don't care. If they brought it up as that's, that's the reason. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, Mark. Go ahead. Oh, no. You answered. Same thing with a flat earther. If they said, I think the earth is flat, one of the very first things I would ask them is, is your belief that the earth is flat dependent on your religious outlook on life? Mm. A lot of creationism and flat earth almost always seem to be dependent on God beliefs. And right. that's, that's just, yeah. that's, a, that's an eliminator for me. There's so a that's fringe how, edge of flat earth that are not creationists. There is, there <laughs> is. Yeah, it's just a, a, they're very few. I, I remember I watching, they a, might be posed. I was watching an, a, 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 a speech by somebody kicking off a, uh, a seminar or a, a convention on flat earth. I saw and that. the, and the person said something almost literally like, and we even have people here that don't believe in any God who think the earth is flat and we welcome you. And I'm like, and he said something like, I don't exactly know how you do it, but we welcome you to the flat earth. And I've been looking for this clip ever since. So if somebody has that, I think that would be beautiful. I think it's the idea no, of, kind of feeling special and having this knowledge that nobody else has. Maybe. Mm. Maybe. Yeah. I still wouldn't treat them any different. I would just ask their biggest reason and and I'd just do the same thing. Mm -hmm. Got to keep Hello, going. Let's Your approach it. appears entirely related to questions of truth and unrelated to normative questions about what we ought to do, which are the really tough questions. How do these mm. chats differ? And I'm going to start by saying I, I reject the premise. Uh, in my experience, fewer than half of my SEs are about religion uh, and questions of truth. And at least half are about what should be done. Uh, we should have this kind of lockdown. We, uh, there should mm. be these kind of things for homeless people. I get a lot of, a, a lot of should be, should claims and that's fine. That's interesting. I wonder if I'm intention, uh, unintentionally excluding topics just sim simply by the way that I'm introducing what I'm doing and that kind of thing. Maybe. Most, most a of my year ago, about, how sure are you that this is factually true? A year ago, I was getting some instruction to ask for claims about what is in the world as opposed to what you think should be. 
Uh, and Rom fixed that for me. Uh, there's a series of questions that Rom uses, like if the if a lot of people agreed with you about this, how would that change their behavior? How would that affect the world? So you can take a should into a prediction about a change in the world in order to get a confidence level on the thing, hmm. as opposed to a definitional claim. Yeah, norm normative claims you, most of the time can be translated into goals and how to meet the goal means to ends. Mm -hmm. I'm understanding normative to mean that which like compels you that which you are obligated to? Is that how you understand normative here? We should ask Helen what her definition of normative is. Yeah. Again, I'm inferring though, I, it by, I, about what we ought to do. I'm, I'm, yeah, I don't maybe, think I don't even an example would be good. Example would be good, but my, my suspicion is that we wouldn't treat the exploration of their claim differently, whether it was the factual nature of it or whether it's something that we should be doing. Yeah, no, babies maybe should be protected would be a normative claim. Say it again. What was it again? Babies should be protected is a normative okay. claim. Babies are smaller than adults is a factual claim. Hmm. Yeah, sex outside is of marriage odd. is common versus sex outside of marriage is bad. Got right. <laughs> oh, okay. do, do normative questions always lead to morality then? Are they typically a morality-based yep. thing? That's baked into normative, what normative means, yeah. Yep. I see. Googling. Okay. James asks, how do you deal with wanting to persuade people, especially for harmful beliefs? How do you deal with weaseling? Um, <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd love to show you by example how we deal with all of those. And Does mostly mean, we like, tolerate a whole lot of them talking and Does then summarize like down the, the thing we want to continue talking. There's a lot of questions yeah. in this one. How, mm -hmm. Let's let's do one question at a time. Uh, how do you deal with wanting to persuade people? Do you want to persuade people? There are times that I do, especially if maybe they're holding mm -hmm. a belief that's harmful or seemingly harmful or very likely untrue. Um, that's an, that's a question that you'll have to ask yourself. Mm -hmm. In my sense, I want to persuade people to the exercise of critical thinking. Yeah, you're not trying to persuade. I people pick my battles and way. let go of all the other yeah. ones. Right. How do you deal with uh, wanting to persuade people, especially for harmful beliefs? Okay, that's kind of related. Well, do you, do you, does it become more important for you to persuade if you think that they're holding a belief that's harmful to themselves or others? Yes. You had, you had a talk yeah. with a guy, didn't you read? It's um, hard to say no to that. Yeah. Something yeah. about medicine. They were, they were opting to go for non-traditional medicine and they were really sick or something. I've, I've talked with people how, you know, traditional medicine does not, you should not go to the doctor if you have cancer and stuff like that. So, you know, I've had a bunch of potentially very dangerous beliefs if you hold on to them and got, you know, cancer or, or certain things. With people who've, who they tell you they have cancer at the time? I don't think they did, no, but oh, okay. yeah, they just, you know, that type of thing. I think yeah, talking about a, relatives in that situation, stuff like that. Yeah, this is a tricky one because it could it could up the stakes in your mind that, oh, wow, I need to go beyond just questioning them to the point where they start coming around to my view. This gets to the ethics of street epistemology and and all that stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I let go of whether they're going to come around to my opinion. If they're merely examining it, sticking it out there where we both can see it, that's, that's as much as I expect to be effective. Yeah, I'm not a, an epistemological pacifist. I have certain values yeah. and ideas that I think are true and good. If someone mm -hmm. has something that contradicts that, 
I want to go through that, you know, Elinkus, the process of critical thinking to check my belief and their belief at the same time. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, so we can yeah. both be both you know, going towards virtue and truth. Yeah. I also don't hold myself as an epistemological model or expert or any of those things. Uh, my beliefs are as open to this audit as yours. In an academic sense, you mean? Because I think you you probably qualify as being an expert in street epistemology at this point. You might think so, but I don't think my opinion about something should, I don't think you should take me as an expert. I think if I have an argument that you find compelling, it shouldn't matter whether it comes from me or Mark or Reed or whoever. Hmm. I'm, uh, I'm actually listing a bunch of experts. What, that's that's a bad example. <laughs> Weaseling is defined as behaving or talking when you behave or talk evasively, oh. achieving something by mm -hmm. use of cunning or deceit for people. Yeah, some weaseling is great. If I say it might be true that, that's a lot more honest than it's true that. If if there is a reasonable doubt, so weasel words. Mm can actually be epistemologically more valid than not using weasel words. Now there's a downside of weaseling where you, it's kind of a Mott and Bailey tactic where you uh, try to say some things, well, it's not the best. And you're euphemizing and confusing um, plausible with probable with likely, you know, all those kinds of things. Maybe an example here would be helpful of like what a weaseling scenario would be. <sighs> Well, I, I take it. I take the mean like an intent to a, a specific intention to avoid directly answering the question that you're exploring. So if someone it, says, "Someone asks oh, changing you, the subject or changing the subject, or maybe speaking for five minutes, and by the time they're done, you don't even remember the question that you asked." If it yeah. happens, I think I would just I would I would call attention to to it seem like we got off track. And if they kept doing it, and I, if I got the impression that they were being weaseling to the point of like intentional deception, then I might just probably yeah. end, end the talk. Um, somebody is asking in the comments if we're taking questions from the audience, but I think we might have our hands full already yeah. with, uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah. It, 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 we got to get it done within you know, 90 minutes or something. I mean, I want, I want to make this somewhere. interactive. I'll tell you what, but if you ask a really yes. good question, we might, we might throw Clarifying questions. Sure, it could, sure. It could also happen to avoid an uncomfortable truth, right? That you're just not yeah. ready to accept something that is true about the world and you want to, you know, kind of nothing to see here, folks. Yeah. <laughs> Even weaseling is progress because you're noticing they're not directly mm -hmm. answering the question, right? So that it's advanced mm -hmm. it a little bit, even though it seems like it didn't. I want to quote from Pine Creek Doug, who was mentoring Nathan, saying, after they've bloviated for two or three minutes, it's okay for you to interrupt. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. That report. Jeff like asks, here. what's the best way to learn this method? I'm going to say that depends on your learning style. Uh, for me, I'm example learning. So for me, it's come to SE practice. For other people, it might be read the theory in a book. And so grab something from Impossible Conversations or the new course we're working on. The course might be Stuff a really like good way to learn the method. Yeah, yeah, we're working on some a course people for... learn by example. So watch Anthony's and and Reed's uh, and Nathan's. Listen to to uh, Mark Mark's podcast. Yeah, being reasonable. 
maybe even watch examples where people are talking and they're not using SE. And then you can notice things that might be lacking. That might actually mm -hmm. help. But you kind of have to know what we're doing in SE to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, that's for that's uh, maybe an advanced or intermediate recommendation. The main thing that Catherine got me says. to learn was listening to myself. So recording your conversations and playing them back, holy crap. There's like a mm -hmm. whole new light shed on your personality yeah. and the weird things that you say or mm -hmm. accidentally forget to shoot your messenger. There's like so much that comes up that you don't know about yourself until you hear yourself. Yeah. And I predict that 90% 90, 90 of people who do that hate their voice, at least at first. It's hard. And that's why you got to do it. That's a yeah. big yeah. reason why you got to do it. You yeah. can get over that. You can get to the yeah. point where you don't mind your recorded voice. But listening, even to yourself, if you never plan on making a YouTube channel, you never plan on sending anything out there, like for your own edification, like listen back to yourself. And there are things that you, I mean, at least for me, like guaranteed. And I still am listening back to myself mm -hmm. after all this time and realizing new things I'm doing wrong that mess up the interview or things, times where I didn't hear somebody out or didn't listen to somebody. And I think if you really want to grow doing this, it's really important to do it poorly. I mean, to learn from your mistakes and to really mm -hmm. kind of, and it's good to see people who do it well, but it's also good to see mistakes because that's really, I think, how you learn your mistakes and other people's mistakes. And I think it's, we're free to make these kind of mistakes because the bigger picture here is we want more people to practice it, even if imperfectly, just to take a stab at it and have conversations this way, the more the merrier. And if it's not perfect, that's okay. You know, the more you do it, the better you get. And uh, I think it's in the end, it's just helpful just to try. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Give your permission to give yourself permission to fail. And then that, that that takes a lot of the pressure off of it because then you, mm -hmm. when you fail, you're like, okay, I was expecting that that would happen. I didn't expect that that specific thing would happen, but that's a failure, and I I can learn from it. A telesportified information on the course. Mm, where do you go for information on the course? Course uh, development yeah. channel in the Street Epistemology Discord is where you can see the status of of the course development. Yeah, uh, and we expect to have something published in the summer. Now, do you guys? make a habit of posting your failures is a question. Hmm. Yeah, I share them with you guys. <laughs> I do really share lie. more of them with you guys. I've got so my answer control. is yes. I, I never have any, I haven't never have any failures. So it's, all right. Well, yeah, no. all right. <laughs> there you go. No, no, no. I see that. <laughs> I, I, every talk I upload, I see failures in it. Yeah. Every single talk there, there's something every that time. didn't go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Catherine asks, for fundamentalist Christians, thinking is already a sin. <laughs> Believing doctrine is the only moral thing to do. These are the people who would need us most, but how to get through? Um, that's a good motivational question for SE in general. And how to get through? Come to practice. Yeah. People who think that they need to hold a belief in order to be good, which is what I think that question was kind of getting to. Those can mm -hmm. be more difficult interlocutors because it doesn't almost matter what reason they think they have or don't have. They're still going to think that it's true. So you have to address the morality aspect of it. That's That seems to be mm -hmm. becoming more and more evident as we're moving forward with this approach. 
<laughs> Lawrence asked, if someone says, I don't believe what's on CNN, how would you explore it? That's the same as the question about media earlier. Mm. Lamont, how does one become a professional street epistemologist or a volunteer or what you were mentioning earlier? I think they're actually referencing something you said in the talk, Anthony. What was the question? Let me go to the, let me go to the sheet. Uh, how do you become a professional or a volunteer or the such and such? A professional. Um, professional. Put it on the internet. Are any of us professionals at this? <laughs> <laughs> just, just, you just put it on the internet. Street this word street epistemologist i never i've never liked it because it seems to suggest like it's this specialized mm. discipline when it's a technique that anybody can learn yeah so i, I don't right. like it also I sounds kind of uh like jargon a little bit and whenever i say the word to somebody who's like a stranger to me there's like immediately a stake in the ground of like there's this word i know that you don't know and then they i don't know how defensive they're getting from just that alone yeah. So um, I've heard some people say that they're like, oh, I don't know what that is. And then that's kind of a tangent from the conversation. But mm -hmm. it's just a label. It's just if people are looking for label. just gen general advice on how to get into it, you can, you can record your conversations. You can start a podcast like Mark's done or upload your videos to YouTube. You can write a blog post. You can be the person that does critique videos of SE videos that you've seen. I mean, you, there's all sorts of ways that you can get into this. But there's there's not a professional track, as far as I'm aware. No one's going to deem you grandmaster of street epistemologist. Yeah. 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 Uh, other than maybe Bogosian and Lindsay, I don't think anybody else makes money on this. That's another conversation we need to have, right? Is that the, <laughs> is that the barometer by which someone's professional, though? Oh yeah, we, uh, we just for the Olympics. <laughs> and then, how much money does it take to be, say, your professional? Uh, yeah. If you Michael asks, I'll have yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> Michael asks, I'll have conspiracy theories thrown at me out of the blue, and the claim maker is completely confident in their source. They may call the liberal media, for example. Where can I go from there? Uh, this is an overlap of two priors. One is. How do I deal with people who don't uh, buy into media? Uh, and then uh, conspiracy thrown, theories thrown out of the blue. Oh, yeah. We, we practice on that all the time. I want to offer a practical question that you can ask to that is how do you – let's say we, we, we both stumbled across a completely new source of news. What are the steps that you go through to determine that it's, it gets the liberal label? Or not? Yeah. Can you take me through how you make that determination? Right. That's oh, and are you Australian? And liberals are the conservative party. Ooh. Is that right? Yeah. European small L liberal or American big L liberal? Yeah, that's another thing too. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I'm a big fan of the thought experiment in those situations. You know, just uh, you know, we're going to talk to Tommy over here, and Tommy has this new belief that. Uh, that, uh, you know, something that resembles maybe QAnon, but call it something different. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Michelle asks, one of my biggest frustrations with religion is the tendency to proselytize. And sometimes I worry that I'm straddling that line of proselytizing my own beliefs in these conversations. Do you advice? Do you have advice on how to walk that line? Ooh. Well, people yes, usually I don't have know anything advice. I believe in these conversations, I would say. Would, would say you again? Agree? 
people usually don't know anything, I believe, when I do these conversations, I would say. Mm -hmm. Or would you agree? I mean, unless they ask me. Ask if you do me. it really well, yeah. Yeah, I think people sometimes ask me, but otherwise, I don't think they even would know. I, I think you are openly proselytizing for calm communication, for friendly, cordial talk, for a willingness to continue talking through discomfort. And I know that I'm proselytizing for exercising critical thinking. Oh, okay. And proselytizing yeah. in that sense. Okay. Or yeah. That's so, I, yes, I am proselytizing. I do have a goal here, but I can tell you what it is. And uh, it's not secret or scary. And I'm limiting myself yeah. to that. That's kind of a negative connotation, though, at proselytizing. Yeah. I think uh, it has a negative connotation. Same with yeah. evangelizing. I, I guess mean, uh, if you stick with questions and don't right. make sure your questions don't start with wouldn't or shouldn't <laughs> and instead right. start with, huh, and then just go with your question, it's yeah. hard to evangelize at that point because you're, you're, you're opening the floor to them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If they ask yeah. you where you stand, then I think that that's the door that's open to respond. Mm -hmm. But if you're continuously telling them where you stand and why perhaps they should adopt your view, then that's, that's probably proselytizing, which mm -hmm. is something that you don't tend to see in SE exchanges. But my favorite video is probably that Reed has done is when I've seen the interlocutor really make a breakthrough in their mind. And then you know that's true because they start asking Reed like informative questions about what he believes mm. and what he thinks. Educate and, me now. Yeah. yeah like, like, I, like mm -hmm. what, like, what do you think? Of, and then, and then to me, that's when you really know a breakthroughs happened. What do you think about that Reed? Yeah. I think you're talking about the one with Dominique, which was just translated into Russian, which that was awesome to see. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Cool. I don't remember the names, but <laughs> yeah. are you dubbed? I'm dubbed. Yeah, it's oh, a dubbed, awesome. it's a dubbed version of that talk. <laughs> that's so cool! It's amazing. It, <laughs> it's so funny seeing another voice coming out of my mouth. Anyway, oh, that's awesome. But uh, yeah, it's it's great to see. It's like we have like this concept of the rapport meter now going on in the course. Maybe that's an advanced topic, but if it's like if we're if the rapport is so high, then they ask they start asking you questions about your own beliefs and values and ideas. That's great to see. Yeah, love it. It means. Yeah, I, I just, I just say like, hey, do you have any questions for me? Or because I'm an open book on this topic, do you want to know my opinion on the topic? If the answer is no, then you know, then, then you have your answer. Yeah. So I guess the it becomes proselytization possibly when you're telling somebody something that they didn't ask for, and they're genuine, genuinely not interested in hearing what you have to say, maybe. Yeah. But if they are and they ask you like, oh, yeah, tell me more about that, then maybe that's the green light to go ahead and do it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Listening to so many conversations on Clubhouse, people are just dying to say what they are thinking and what they want people to know what they know, what they believe. And with SE, it's like the exact opposite. You have to take your ego out of this and just stick to their beliefs and reasons and not even bring up anything to them yourself unless they ask. No, that's hard mm -hmm. for many people. And I'm thinking of mm -hmm. when someone asked you, Reed, about evolution, now that I think about it, that someone, you had a conversation about evolution and then they thought about what you th think about it. And then you, then you explained what you 
what you thought about it. And I thought that was sort of a breakthrough moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and you, through the answers, you model epistemic virtues, like epistemic humility and all that. So it's a way to model as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let them know that you could be mistaken on the thing that you are telling them that you think is true. Yeah. So yeah, this is going to go four hours if we can stick to this. I know okay, we're sorry. at 43 <laughs> okay, minutes. I'm going to stay right last. Paul asks, how do you deal with people justifying their claims with vague assertions that don't really mean anything concrete? Uh, and the, my answer is, that's a long question. Come to practice, and we'll show you. Peter asks, Are they painting with a broad specific... brush? Am I painting, with a, painting brush? with a broad brush? I was just asking yeah. a clarifying question for the last one. Like, are people making, like, are they making generalizations? Vague I think assertions. that's what he's saying that the guy was doing. Vague assertions that don't really mean anything. I, I would end up asking Paul a lot of clarifying questions before I ended up actually answering his question if, if I had him in front of me. Just yeah. ask Clark, for, deepities, for vague assertions or deepities, you know, just ask clarifying questions and ask for examples mm-hmm. and try yeah. to pick out, pick out contradictions. And there you go. Mm-hmm. And, and put that misunderstanding on yourself. I'm not following. Can you help me understand this better? Yeah, because you said all these things, and I think I'd still have difficulty repeating back what it is I think you think is true. So, can we boil Mm -hmm. this down really simply? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Peter asks: Digression is a specific unconscious discussion strategy that many use. I accept your assertion. How do you politely get someone back on the main point without seemingly attacking their conversational style? We call those focusing uh, things. That's in the book, and that's in practice. And a lot of it is. Uh, having set aside, set up a goal to explore a thing at the beginning, gotten consent on it. So then later on, you can say, thank you. And I'd like to focus on just this part of the thing we're talking about and just focus it back and not say that, oh, all that digression is really, I hated it. You shouldn't do that. You're not. <laughs> I don't have to, I can ignore that completely and just ask for the thing that I want and yeah, not yeah. call out the thing that I'm trying to avoid. Yes. Yeah. This one's easy. Or oh, that reminds me of an early thing we were talking about, or you said, and then just yeah. hop back in. Yeah. Hmm. Do it quickly. Prasad asks, <laughs> what do you do when the government itself is promoting pseudoscience? I tell them Trump was a liar and the CDC just fix it. Oh, sorry. That's a very specific example. <laughs> uh, hmm. The government is pro- promoting. That's itself a claim, I guess. Yeah, that's a claim. So you just dig into that. Just sure. vary your information and news sources and check the claims against each other and go with the evidence. Or, you yeah. know, go to the Turkish to your... government is, is pro creationism. Not surprised oh. that the government's going to say things that are, are not true. Hmm. You could also just go to your local government official and have a talk with them and try to work your way up, I suppose. Yeah. We're almost done. Five more. How does one pose, uh, S asks, how does one posing the questions to keep their cool when the answers are co- so contrary to their beliefs? Um, Mark called this calm. one out. It's a real good one. Yeah. Well, I think we might have a different opinion on you know, the role of emotions on uh, in an SC conversation. I don't know. Uh-huh. I mean, uh, what, do you, what do you guys, I mean, do you guys try to aim for our conversations that completely a, a kind of a devoid of emotion and not put that in there? Or 
No? Do you try to use it? Okay. Or do you try to use it to your... I don't avoid emotion. I just avoid uh, flying off the handle or reacting. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Right. Yeah, you don't want to be a robot. You want to be, you know, a compassionate person with emotions but if you let your disgust come through with what you're hearing what? yeah That's i like edit something? what i allow to come out that was yeah. just reed's reaction Am I, I experienced something? the heck out of it <laughs> i would say i was close to that you know starting out for sure and maybe still but yeah. oh the robot part <laughs> sorry <laughs> private joke we tend to joke that reed is a robot i forgot that we had that yeah. joke ai it's the best way to put but it. But that can be incredibly disarming in some ways. I mean, people just, mm -hmm. I mean, I think when that manner, when I see his manner, I think people just will just go right into it. And that, hmm. do you see that? I mean, to me, they that, see safety that, in it. I see an I advantage know. to that in some ways. I don't just, I, I tell I, myself, I'm speaking for myself only, but I tell myself if, if this belief is really disgusting to me, like, yeah. horrible to me then is it going to help me in in my worldview to get angry and upset and have this person go through a backfire effect and believe their horrible disgusting belief even more and you know if i keep my cool then maybe i'll be able to reach them uh mm -hmm. if i allow myself to get frustrated it might completely backfire yeah if I'm this nice is, enough, they'll still listen to me at the end. That's such a that's such a, a mature attitude that we need more of, because there's the sense in our culture of shutting down ideas that we don't agree with or we find disgusting, disgusting or problematic. And um, I'm of the position that we should surface them. You're not platforming bad ideas; you're exploring bad ideas or disgusting ideas or problematic, potentially problematic ideas. These are all potentially, I guess. If we don't, then who will? Well, the people who will try the more aggressive style. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Yeah. And I think we're asks, about, okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just saying that, and I think we've talked about this before as far as not letting emotions kind of, you know, rule the show. And I do do it. I, and I think Anthony might have said that he does this, this too, but I, I have a little paragraph that I read to myself before. I engage in a conversation just to kind of do a self-talk of to myself of why I'm doing this and you know the reason I'm doing it and and uh, and so yeah. that helps. like an SE affirmation. It I is. An affir actually. I do have an SE affirmation. Yeah. I read it. Yeah. I read it on camera once, but I never really? uploaded the video. I, I'll, yeah, I'll have one I'm, lo huh. I'm looking on my phone for it right now. I say, um, I work towards mutual agreement about the reliability of different ways of assessing whether or not. A belief is true or likely to be true. I acknowledge that my guest position may be correct. I am willing to revise my beliefs if they are incorrect. Ideally, it will become increasingly clear to me and my guests whether certain methods can be relied upon to lead to one to the truth. I value the truth and desire to use methods that are less likely to produce false beliefs. And I probably lifted some of that from somewhere, but um, I think that helps. <laughs> yeah. Mm. I, I'm not easily... He is you wish to see him. Ted asks, should I use this on my bestie who is a religious or Trump fan? And as long as you'll change the on to with, yes, I'm allergic to use SE on. But that's a quibble. Yeah, use SE with everyone. Yes. <laughs> who's consenting? Especially yeah, friends. Everybody who's willing. Everybody who wants to. 
there's there the, are the, is, more for it. Well, yes. Is there a practice area where one can conduct mock SE interviews and hone their skills before going out into the open? Yes. I bet in the description of this video, there is an invitation to the street epistemology discord where I am involved with four other hosts for three practice sessions each weekend, plus uh, ad hoc things as you go, uh, and a whole community of people who have channels where you can ask, I would like to practice SE on this, and you'll get a, you'll get a partner, and it's all very um, clubhouse-y, and, and uh, it's not formal, but, it, but it's rigorous. So it's a great place to practice and to get great feedback. And it's audio only. Is that right? Is it audio only? Hmm? Is it audio only? Does it's your, your, audio only video? in the street epistemology practice channels. And we have some video channels where if you want to do video, that's totally okay. We're video in the lounges and we also do live shows there on video. The only reason why we have audio only in the main practice is to get past discord limits of how many people can be in the room at a time. Uh, uh, it's not that we have anything against video. It's a bandwidth issue. Probably it's a, it's a bandwidth issue and a, and a, a room size issue. So ad hoc SE with video. Absolutely. The main practice sessions are audio only for reasons. Last question. William asks, any advice for a well-read Democrat to break through someone enthralled to the obvious Fox News lie on critical issues? <laughs> sure. <laughs> I uh, think our answer would apply to anyone. Or the other way. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't even really matter where you stand. Yeah. How do yeah. you break through how do you break through to somebody who's entrenched in in political views on the opposite side of you? Yeah. Hear them out because in, in if you don't, you won't they won't ever hear you. Yeah. Model the open-mindedness for their ideas that you mm -hmm. wish they would exhibit for yours. And, um, and then just the regular SE process from there. And maybe remind yourself just, just because my site isn't talking about this specific thing doesn't mean that it's not important or that we're in the right here. Uh, the, yeah, some, some recent topics come to mind where, I remember people people on the right talking about this subject a year ago or six months ago, and it only recently became an issue on the left. So if if I had been paying more attention or being more open to what these folks were saying on the other side, I could have been right longer. <laughs> mm -hmm. Man, keep your media diet mixed. And, yeah, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm through my list. Yeah. So that Would was like uh, to go through the larger list 54 yeah. minutes in. So for people that may have just joined or just to re reset the room as they say in clubhouse, um, <laughs> we reviewed questions that, that were essentially all related to the answer of come to the practice sessions that we offer. But there were other questions that we received and we removed a lot. We removed the duplicates, but there were other questions related, related to SE that I think would make for a good group questions. And I think what we'll probably need to do is we'll have to watch this and get the timestamp so that we, people can jump to these right there. Hopefully the, uh, the video description is, I don't know, allows for that much text. Okay. Yeah. Let's get to the next ones. Would you like me to read the next list? Please. Oh, yeah. Antonio asks, by definition, you suggest meeting people on the street. Would you ever approach a church 
and ask if they would like you to discuss your beliefs, something like ask an atheist. Well, let me contest the first thing. Um, I don't know if I've ever suggested it. Like, I, I, uh, you can do it. It's probably not the best way to practice your street epistemology or explore people's claims. I think he's saying, by definition, by in the name, street epistemology, it's kind of implied. Or, you know. Oh, okay. I missed that part. Yeah, yeah. That, that's an unfortunate thing about the name. Yeah. Maybe yeah, we you don't can have... call it park epistemology. Call what? <laughs> park epistemology. Park. No, I, I, don't, I, I don't want to change the name. Yeah. Just, just replace street. I already with, have the t-shirt. Just replace street with not ivory tower academia. Hmm. Layman. Yeah. Yes. Ellie. Would you ever approach a church and ask if they would like you to discuss your beliefs? Something like ask an atheist. I had a church approach me a couple of years ago. There you go. To talk That's about street do. epistemology. And I went there. I was literal. I played, uh, I played, read, I played your conversation with Tia. Remember that, yeah. In front of a congregation of, there weren't that many people there because it was between, they announced it after the, the one service that they had. And there was like an hour before the next one. And that's when we, so there may be 20 people, but I was literally at the front of this church showing Reed's video. And that was, have, that was neat. I would love to have been a fly on the wall of yeah. that church for sure. There were, there I, were a couple good moments there. Yeah. It went really well. A lot I of people personally would feel weird about staking out at a church. Um, yeah. In the same way that I would feel weird if there was like a, somebody evangelizing in front of a Planned Parenthood or something like mm -hmm. I just wouldn't want to, I would rather model the behavior of like non-invasive kind of like I'll be out on a public street, like a, a campus or a trail. That's those are real appropriate places. Yeah. If they invite you though, then take it. Absolutely. Yeah. And you could ask for an invite. You can say, Hey, I have this hobby where mm -hmm. I talk to people I'd love to get, or I'd right. love to give a talk on exploring beliefs. I, I also was, never comfortable with the idea of going to a, a mosque or a, or a synagogue or a church, but I did want to try it. So my compromise was I went to a movie theater that on the weekends or on the weekdays, maybe it was something, there was a moment of time where they had, they had opened it up for people to come to church there at the movie theater. So that was, that was my workaround is like, well, I'm outside of a movie theater and there just happens to be people that are walking out that may have been at the service. But, you know, you, again, you can use this approach for any claim. It doesn't have to be religious claims. And I think if you intentionally went, however, there is some benefit to acknowledging that there's specific demographics that you really do want to speak with. Jehovah's Witnesses, yeah. Muslims, mm -hmm. Scientologists, people who are going to a homeschooling convention, yeah. like that would be fun to go to, to talk to a flat earth convention. Mm -hmm. I'm not against the idea but just don't don't lose sight of the fact that it's a broad tool. It reminds me of this quote from Emmanuel mm -hmm. McGrady, atheist from Bogosian. I had to pick up my daughter's friend from choir practice while I almost never frequent places of worship. I arrived early to use this as an opportunity to deliver interventions to the faithful on their home turf. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't have to go. You don't have to go that hard. Peter yeah. is very aggressive. I really respect that. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. If you find yourself in an opportunity where you can talk to a specific demographic, then I would say go for it, but uh, don't make it your sole focus. Cause then it looks just kind of like you're picking on somebody. Well, I went I to a mind body convention. So that was kind of, 
I don't know if that was considered not cool to do that, but you know, which ones? Huh. I went to a mind body mind body convention. convention. Yeah, I went, I went there and I set up shop, and I was definitely. Oh, I would totally go to a religious conference. <laughs> I couldn't do Especially that. a comparative religious conference. Oh, heck yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, that's good. And you guys yeah. went to CPAC. An individual well, home say, church? That seems yeah, pushy. We tabled at CPAC and Politicon. We well, wanted why to are we putting Trump religion at a, such a high on a pedestal? I mean, if I can go to Mind Body Convention or CPAC, or, <laughs> right? <laughs> that, might be that, that might be that little privilege that even atheists, you know, yeah. struggle with respecting for some reason. Yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't mm. go to a bowling alley and try to uh, talk people out of bowling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I predict the next question is going to be answered differently by one of the members of this group. Carolyn asks, oh, do you consider yourself a therapist? Mark first. Yes. Yeah. So, so I am a psychologist, but I don't practice psychology when I'm doing SE because that's something completely different. I, that is something that I'm doing for the person to help them. And when I'm doing an SE session, I know that that's not something that's necessarily helpful to them. And I'm more doing it for the audience. And I don't market myself as a psychologist. I don't say I'm a psychologist. Uh, I don't, it's a different, I think the goal is different. And I, I know I'm going to get some pushback on this, but I try to kind of separate those two out a bit. Response. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I feel like I can I can use the SE methodology without talking about a claimed truth. Um, like, for example, I've had some conversations where I've heard somebody frustrated because they want to accomplish a goal of theirs, mm -hmm. um, and I'll just ask them to elaborate. What do you mean? What, what's the goal? And then I'll hear it out. And then I'll ask them on a scale between zero and a hundred, like how hard do you think you're working to achieve that goal? Like what's your self-assessment on accomplishing that goal? And yeah. I'll get a number. It'll be like 60 or something. Okay. Well, what is that where you want to be? Like, okay. if you were to try harder, like what could you do that would bump that number up? Would, do you right. want to bump the number up? And then they're just kind of self, you're just a mirror to them and their wants and desires. I don't know if this is psychology, it's just not truth that we're talking about, it's about them. And um, in this way, I consider it kind of like a humanist kind of conversation. Um, so yeah, you can use it for other things too. Dolly, yeah. I don't know if it's... Dolly has a great conversation with Eric Anderson on his channel. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a good one to look look up. Yeah, you know, this uh, on this. Does anyone I, here consider themselves a therapist? Well, I am. I mean, I I, well, besides yourself, he is. I'm not. I, yeah, I, I clearly am not. I am not qualified <laughs> to help people adjust their behaviors. Right. Is that's kind of the difference? Is that you're using a tech, a cognitive behavioral technique? Let's say, in if you're using a psychological yeah. technique to right. help people change beliefs in some sense, but beliefs about themselves and. You know, where street epistemology needs to come up a little is, and that's just because we're new, is that there's not, like when I'm, pract when I'm practicing psychology and the stakes are sometimes high, if someone's suicidal or something like that, mm -hmm. I, want, I want to practice stuff that has been, in my mind, has been scientifically shown to 
work. And in street mm -hmm. epistemology, we have not gotten there yet. Someone's that. <laughs> that we haven't got. I'd like to get there, but I, we haven't gotten there yet. Where there's the research to show, like, what aspect of street epistemology is the ch is the changing aspect, right? Like, is it the is it could be just the rapport? Who knows? I mean, you know what I'm saying? It could be, but it could be up. That hasn't come along. To oh. would you say no? What's it's changing? Uh, changing comes from their review of their reasons. So maybe we're asking them to adjust their beliefs based upon their own conclusions from their own reasons. Right, but don't, don't you think that there's literature that there needs that we need to do actual studies about this at some point, right? No, like Maybe. how how this works or why you know it could work for different reasons than we think it works. No, I can trivially prove that if I am kind and don't push back, I can have a very high probability of completing the conversation while still productive and having them still think about the thing. That's a trivial proof. Uh, I, I don't I don't need to do a study to show that, um, because the comparison would be taking somebody who's not uh, trained in street epistemology and have them just talk like a normal person. And I suspect you'll get half of the conversations walking away grumpy. Hmm. If that's all I have to prove, I'm good. So if I'm trying to prove something a lot better, like what's the efficacy, how often do people actually change their minds and keep their minds still changed or whatever? Yeah, right, right. Uh, I'm blinded to that much data. Well, you don't think that's important? I mean, I think that's important to know, right? I mean, we got to know that at some no. point. No. Okay. No, I don't, I don't need to know. I don't have to know how efficient it is if I know it's moving in the right direction. <laughs> Honestly, I think this is one of the better questions today. Cool. Um, I really yeah, we're also talking about, we're going to try to leave the questions up um, for the duration. And then when they disappear, that's uh, an indication that we should probably be wrapping it up. Okay. But, but yeah, that is a good question. Like my, my, my sense is, well, no, I'm not a psychologist. I just happen to behave similarly to one, I guess, in, in a lot of ways, at least that's what I'm told. But um, you, you, don't get overconfident with your application of SE and get yourself into situations where you're not qualified to be participating. That would be my advice. What kind of people do you talk to? Everybody. I'll Whoever chooses us. Yeah. We don't size them up before we invite them. We, we make eye contact. If they make eye contact back, we talk. Hmm. I'd say more precisely the sincere. Because if okay. somebody's being insincere, then, and maybe uh, a little adventurous too, like I think it's it's it takes a certain personality to sit down and talk with somebody. They've got some weird setup. I see cameras. There's probably a, an eliminating process happening right then and there. You're you're getting a, a a population of people who maybe are a little bit more, I don't know, confident in their abilities and comfortable talking with strangers. Yeah, it's a self selection. Yeah. You've hinted at using this technique online. Could this still be an effective approach or is it better suited to in-person interactions? Would any of your methods change online? What a great question by Chuck. Mm -hmm. I avoid text entirely. 
so much gets lost. Mm. I know I watch people who are familiar with SE and I've even attempted to do it over Twitter and so forth, but it just doesn't, it just doesn't go well. Especially Twitter. So much gets lost. It's going to make you. I haven't tried it on Twitter. (laughs) I I do occasionally have requests in SE practice for people to practice formally in the text environment. And it, it usually is, is okay. And if anything, there becomes, it's, too slow and people will lose track of the conversation because it takes too long yeah so so i I agree text is less effective i do have requests for that and it it, they are successful they're not optimal it's the same technique i have it has worked for me yep Hmm. it helps that i type somewhat quickly and people Forgive my misspellings. Is SE SE for use only with checking the correctness of beliefs about matters of fact? For example, karma is real or also for harmful matters of opinion. For example, minimum wage is bad. That's from Dan. I think we talked about that already. Normative versus descriptive. Well, Mm -hmm. that was like, should you do it? Like, I think what... Yeah, this kind of gets to the morality. Well, I, I always the use the ice cream answer, example. My answer is yes to both. See, when I th- when but. I think of an opinion, it's like a personal taste, a preference, and I just go if that's your preference, I go with it. But if your preference becomes a fact claim, then that's what we can explore. Yeah. Important distinction here: SE does not seek to establish the truthfulness of the claim or mm. the reality of that's the situation. A that's a good point. Yeah. To me. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. It's about your level of confidence that it is factually true. Right. It's it's right. reviewing one level deeper. It's yeah. checking your reasons. And by the actual opinion, results of the claim can be a distraction. Yes. It's counterintuitive that way. Yeah. Yeah. And if somebody is is professing an opinion, then they're it's a personal preference of taste and they're going to be a hundred percent sure that they like vanilla ice cream. So it's, it's, it's kind of silly right. to be essing opinions. Oh, essing opinions. Yeah. 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 I, I don't like right. essing opinions. I've heard people advocate that you can do it, but I, I just don't see how it, I have as you to claim your reasons for somebody holding your opinion that... are just as valid to check. Opinions said that your reasons for valid. believing a fact. And I'm sorry, I'm stepping on you. Was that Nathan? Oh, it's all good. Oh, I have asked you to claim that values were objective, which I didn't understand. Values. That was an values. One. Yeah, like there is an objective value to certain concrete things. It was a really weird talk. Hmm. <laughs> so David Hume was just wrong. Okay. <laughs> Next question: Would you ever try the conversation slash interrogations with two people at once? Yes, and, yes. And I have. I have a video where I've done it with four people that will be on my channel soon. You have a talk with Mormons the that thing. really well. Oh, the Mormons. Yeah, the two, like the two Mormon fellows. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. The important thing is that only one person in the conversation is trying to convince. Hmm? As soon as more than one person are trying to convince, they go boom, and Essie stops, and they start defending and, and going back and forth. As long as one interlocutor is trying to convince? No, I mean person 
so we, we very often can open in practice. If everybody's familiar with SE, we all know how to back off and not divert the conversation into something defensive. And so you can end up having this interesting group SE function. I had one of those on a live stream with uh, Cinder Kiwi and um, Phil. Uh, and it was a three-way SE, but we were all familiar and it worked out fine because mm. we all knew not to challenge and start arguing, mm. even though we were coming from opposite sides of the position. Well, they were. Mm -hmm. It's hard the to kind of set it up, but you can be the moderator between two other people. And if one yeah. person doesn't agree with what the other person says, you can yeah. invite one to ask the other one a question. And now suddenly they're doing SE. Hmm. Remember, the only reason we're not expressing an opinion is because we don't want to generate defensiveness or distract the conversation. As long as you can avoid those things, go for it. Whatever works. Hmm. Um, okay. Well, I just want to add one more thing. Uh, the challenge that I run into with two people or more is that um, you can end up chasing things. So you're making progress with one, and then before you know it, now you're talking to this other person, and then you're trying to pick it up. And then they, the other people tend to be swayed by what they're hearing their friends say or their girlfriend or their spouse or whatever. So you don't, you don't often get a, a, an, a, I'm thinking of the two, the Mormon couple, the man and woman that were mm -hmm. on the trail. The woman was seemingly very open and reflective and really pondering the questions. And the, the spouse was just, he was in preach mode and not really reflecting at all. Mm -hmm. it, it would have been a better conversation with each of them if it was a one-on-one -on -one as opposed to two-on-one -on -one, in my view. Yeah. Quinn asked a really good question in the comments. Mm. What kind of situations are SE people unqualified for? Ooh, what a great question. Yeah. Quinn should be up on this stage. Do you want to join us, Quinn? Feel free to hop on. I know, right? Yeah, yeah the Quinn link Ross. is in the Discord SE review channel. Quinn questions. <laughs> you guys want to tackle that one? What kind of situations are SE SEers unqualified? Person well, stuck on I mean, a ledge or hanging out on a bridge. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, like a hostage situation or a or a suicide. Sure, situation? Uh, you know, a, a potential well, there self should be an alarm situation. bell. Yeah, at that yeah. point, in which you're like, oh, let me dial nine one one. I mean, yeah, those kind of okay. Yeah. But if if you That's were the in a, extreme though, <laughs> if I was in a pinch, I would call nine one one, ask for help, and then try to intervene and keep them from jumping off the bridge. Sure, sure. And you wouldn't be using SE. You'd mm. be being a citizen. Oh, I got to hear this. I would definitely be using SE. <laughs> I, I would be using Talk many of, I would be using, I, I wouldn't be, no, hold on a second. When I say using SE, it doesn't mean to impart doubt or something like that, but like right. reflective listening, get pausing, making it yeah. about us, sure. that type of stuff. Yeah. Sure. Using we language yeah. instead of you language. But I, I would be the first to admit like that, I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be giving my number to the authorities to call me the, the second they see somebody on the bridge or something. That's not my job. I'm definitely unqualified for it. Yeah. yeah, I can be a listener like a friend, but I, I, I can't help you fix your life. I don't know how. Mm. Mm. Yeah. The, t the, the toughest situation that I struggled with was when somebody said, I have this belief and I don't want it. Can you help me get rid of it? And like everything broke down. I I, I don't Whoa. I felt like I I couldn't be good at asking the same questions that I probably would have asked. Because like that elevated That's a psychological it. thing. It was weird. Like something tripped in my head where it's like, oh, I don't know if I could use this approach to 
to bring you around to my view or I didn't, I, it clashed. I didn't want to do it. Or maybe I could have done it. That video is on my channel. I've, so I've got a co-host sleepy who will often come with claims that he thinks are probably wrong and has less than 50, 50 confidence in and try to hmm. talk to both sides of it. And we'll work out the claims in an SE fashion in a practice. This is one of those examples of, I have a belief and, and I think I want to not have that belief. Yeah. Um, hmm. There are some other people that I don't, well, I'm qualified for it, but I wouldn't use SE. So I guess it's a different question. Okay. Do we, get, we want to hammer on that some more? Or? That's a great question. Well, the, maybe the question is if you're too close to the question for some reason. Is that the right way to, to read the question? Mm. When I've done practice SE clear. and I believed in it, in the claim, and somebody else didn't, then I've uh, recused myself in favor of somebody who didn't think it. Uh, to interrogate the claim as a way for me to help illuminate something I don't know. And that's um, that's for my benefit. So I can learn something from something if I, especially if it's a political issue and I, let's say I hold some value and somebody else doesn't, this is more of like a practice essay or something like for Discord, but that's mm -hmm. my thinking on it. Yeah, my sense might be um, addictions also. So if like I, I, I experimented where I did like I went out for a week or two and we were talking about fears and addictions. So I talked to people who they wanted to get rid of their fear of spiders or they wanted to stop smoking. And I did dabble in that a little bit where I was using SC with that. But I I, I don't know. I, I, I'm definitely unqualified for it. Anthony, are there topics you are not willing to discuss? I can't think of any that I'm not willing to discuss. Well, there are some now that I just I just don't want to because uh, I don't like talking about. I just don't like talking about them. Like veganism, I don't want to talk about veganism. I don't want to debate veganism. I don't want to explore my vegan beliefs. And there might be people who want to talk about veganism, and I, that I just maybe I'm just not interested. But maybe a year from now I will be. Put your comments below. <laughs> yeah here they come what do you folks think any topics you're like some of these normative claims like so many times people have sat down at my what what do you believe in why workshop and they'll say i believe in love and i'm like okay, yeah, yeah okay. that's right and um, we can dig the... into that but i'm just like in the back of my head i'm like kind of waiting for it to be done or kind of waiting for something a little bit more interesting or tangible for me to to hook my sink my teeth into yeah it, but some of my best talks, though, have been about that very subject. So I just, really? and like, what do you mean by that? And then all of a sudden we are going through definitions and then I realize their definition is different than my definition. And then we can talk about definitions for words and why they're different and how we can come up with different definitions for something. So, so like in between us, um, like it's an abstract noun. Like how is it that we have such vastly different definitions for this abstract noun? It's super common. And then that can go to truth. Like it's another one of those nouns that we should mm. think similarly about, but maybe we don't. And then all of a sudden the conversation is really interesting. Just That's a good on the point. Person. 
That's a really good point. And the trail people want to talk about the benefits of exercise. And I'm like, I roll my eyes because it's the third time that week. Somebody has said that that's what they want to talk about, but yeah, it could lead to, <laughs> it could lead to a good discussion or maybe you built some trust and they see you again. And then they want to talk about something a little bit more relevant or interesting to yourself. Is there a different technique to discuss religion versus politics? Would you use something other than street epistemology with politics or religion? Or? Mm. Like a, pol a political discussion. There's one little cul-de-sac relating to faith that is religion specific because faith is such an audacious claim. But I don't think structurally that there's any difference. Yeah, my sense from going to Politicon and CPAC and talking to people about politics is that their religious views affect their political views yeah so i i almost see like the political stuff is just a distraction and then you can just focus on why they think god is real what if they're secular yeah then well then i'd start talking about politics with them yeah <laughs> it makes it easier for sure and yeah my, in my experience i couldn't agree more and if they're not predicating um their reasons to religion, if it doesn't regress there, then um, I want to know the reasons, just like any other belief. And then um, if I hear things like fairness, I'll keep my ear out for that. And if I hear something about fairness, then I'll rely more heavily on outsider tests. Um, I'll ask for disconfirmation criteria, just like anything else. What would make you think that, um, you know, doing the opposite of what you're saying would be the best idea? What would need to be true? um in order for you to value the opposite of what you're valuing to shed light on the disconfirmation hmm. politics conversations usually branch off into like either policy discussions or like philosophical you know ethical type discussions back in Politicon, i think one of my last conversations with is like anar anarcho capitalist guy and we hmm. got down to like i had just read how to have impossible conversations maybe the month before and I tried to use the last chapter techniques of like talking about you know, moral epistemology. And we got down to his value about liberty and why is liberty the best value for this type of claim. So it can get it can down get down pretty deep. So it yeah, it's interesting. Hmm. Yeah, I would use SE on any topic, including political ones. I wouldn't alter it. Especially political ones. Yeah. What do you think of the respect religion response, Donald? We've all seen this. I think religion respect means a lot of different things in different contexts. If I walk up on a chess game, I have enough respect for that they are trying to play a chess game that I won't start commenting on one side's position or suggesting moves. Not me. Because that would be disruptive. So I'm also <laughs> not going to walk into a church and say, you know, you got that wrong, right? Unless, of course, it's an open conversation about theology, and then I'm fine to do that. I don't have to restrain myself in other than, like, social appropriate behavior. Hmm. I'm a little confused by the question. I mean, what it's better way to respect a, a religion than to ask questions about it? Uh when is when Muslims use respect my religion, most of the time that's not what they mean. 
What do they mean? Oh, you're roboting out. They mean don't call question to it. Yeah, sometimes it's a relative, a truth relativistic comment that we respect religions and so yeah. we're all right and we're all correct. And this is a, okay. Yeah, that that's what I think that they're driving to is, and I see this so often. Like if I ask a question on a TikTok video, I'll get a response from not from the creator, but somebody else saying, "Why don't you just leave them alone and just let them let them believe whatever they want to believe." Um, oh, my response usually is uh, is that um, do you think it's important that what's being presented here as fact is indeed justified to the person who's making the claim? Because that's usually my mo my motivation, you know. So, yeah, I I don't respect beliefs. This this is such a trite thing that a lot of people say these days. But yeah, I, I don't really respect the beliefs, but it's the people. However, you got to keep in mind that people's beliefs are very tied to them. So if you diss their belief, you're dissing them in their eyes. Mm -hmm. But um, while they may not make that distinction, I try to. Yeah. Beliefs can be like possessions that way. Mm -hmm. Was mm -hmm. Quinn going to join us? You guys know? I haven't been checking the SE review. Quinn. He's not texting. Okay. I, I sent him a link. What's the next question? Cool. Any specific tips for rabid QAnon followers and or election fraud supporters? Elizabeth. Be prepared to uh, be blown off. Be prepared that they will escalate and get defensive and uh, break the conversation. So even if you're perfect, do you have an example on your own? I'm just curious because sure. So, so uh, somebody starts telling me about the thing, and in their telling, they are getting riled up. I see. Ah, right. Prepare that the more conspiratorial or the farther it goes, the more they will have an emotional content, and they may not be able to settle into an SE. And that's not you doing it wrong. Just be prepared yeah. that that's, I think there's that can happen. And that doesn't that. mean you yeah. did it wrong. Yeah. Mm. 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 Prepare the more it. we identify with the idea, the more deeply held it is, um, the more I think we need to spend time with wonder type questions and what it would mean if our confidence, before we dig into the epistemology, what would it mean for us if our confidence was lower? And how would that make us think differently? And and what would the world look like? And how would the world look right. differently if we were thinking differently about this yeah. thing? How would you in that case? Change? Would you be a different person? In that case, I expect a lot of the time for them to argue that it's true instead mm -hmm. of instead of considering that it might not be true or allowing doubt. They would just double down on here's another reason it's true. Okay, that's yeah. normal for people. Mm -hmm. and, and they may or may not get out of that this time. But, you know, to, to understand like with the QAnon belief, maybe, or any belief that if they truly entertain that their belief is incorrect, that would mean, you know, changing their friends and changing their people to hang out with and their relatives. And I mean, it's, it's so much attached to that, that there's so much baggage that goes along. Mm hmm. But but talking about that potential impact on changing the belief, 
mm-hmm. could in and of itself be useful. It's one of those like mm-hmm. I don't know what you call it. The the outer periphery. It's related to the belief because it could be affected by it, but it still can be useful for getting inner, getting towards the inner circle of methodology. You just may have to spend more time dancing on the edges and working your way in a lot yeah, more than you would see in it. Yeah. 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 Talking about broader subjects and well, how do you, how do you decide what you you'll believe or not? Have you ever believed something really strongly related to QAnon? And then you came to realize that that was a mistake. Like, what was that like? What did that feel like? Yeah. So you're not even talking about reasons and methods, but you're dancing along the edges and working your way in slowly. I think you have to, it seems like there's, when it's a person that you know, or somebody who's extremely passionate, you have to sp- spend more time on the building rapport, the building of trust, the identif- identification of reasons and the implications of belief revision on their on their life and everything before you get to reasons and methods. That's one of the that's one of the challenging things about SE is that it can be so efficient, you can be too efficient at it. Because mm-hmm. once you realize all I have to do is just identify the claim, get to the main reason to talk about methodology, we're done. But with certain beliefs and certain people who are really, really invested in them, you can't be so direct. You have to really you have to be working in first gear the whole time. And when I've made my major mistakes, that's probably the mistake I've made the most is, oh, like we're good to go here. You know, we're, you know, we're all comfortable with each other. Let's move on when yeah. I've moved probably too fast. Yeah. And maybe there's some way to test the waters before you ask your larger questions to see if they're ready for it. You know, we've talked a lot, a lot about what this belief does for you and how you figure out what you accept and what you reject. Are you ready now for me to ask you a couple questions that would challenge how you've concluded that any of this stuff is true in the first place? What do you think? Mm-hmm. And then judge their reaction and, and proceed accordingly. What techniques do you use when you talk with people who are well-versed in apologetics? End them. I like this question. Mm-hmm. Because it can throw me off sometimes because I'm not prepared to, you know, I'm not an anti-apologetics person. It's just If that's their framework, it kind of throws me a bit sometimes. Yeah. The thing I with suggest- apolo- Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. I suggest that you can be over-prepared for apologetics, but not under-prepared if you are patient enough. The problem is somebody comes up with, say, the ontological argument that there must be a greatest thing because things can be aligned in a greater versus lesser. And you might say, oh, but how does that greatest thing lead you to an infinity or an omni property? But they didn't actually claim that. They might only claim a maximal property. So if you start asking them about parts they haven't made the claim that you know are coming, you can end up setting up a rabbit hole. And just a little bit of that can derail them very badly because now you're asking them to defend a claim they didn't make. Maybe Address the claim they make, not the one you think they're making because you already know the steps further down the road. Yeah, so if you don't know it at all, key. you're better off. That might be a little too abstract for me right now. What, what's like, can you give me an example of like, it could be like a made up conversation of like how that would work. Uh, if, if I go with the ontological argument, so there must be a greatest possible thing because things can be ordered greater to lesser. And that greatest thing is therefore the, the creator of the universe. And then I say, how do you get to an infinitely powerful thing or an omnipowerful thing just because there's a greatest thing? I see. If they're not making that bridge right. claim, like you're anticipating I can where they're going. 
I'm anticipating where they're going because I know enough about those arguments, even though most of the people who would bring that argument are going to get to an infinite or an omni, some are satisfied with a maximal. Mm. Uh, And uh, so I want them to make the claim before I ask them to defend it. And if I know too much about it, there's a real tendency for me to skip ahead. Accidentally do counter apologetics. <laughs> you don't want to do that. Do you, yeah, you don't want to do that. Go with what they're saying. Yeah. Yeah. You're um, a mirror to their mind. Like, help them, you know, explain what they're saying, repeat it back. You um, could also ask if they were less confident in their claim being factually true prior to discovering the apologetics that they're planning on using with you. And they may say, yeah. <laughs> this this one apologetic increased my confidence significantly. Then I would explore with them. I find it interesting. Who, who I forgot the name. The gentleman who does the uh, counter apologetics on YouTube that we review sometimes. Doug. 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 Yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, it's just I find it interesting because he just approaches things from a very different way, and um, I don't know. Like, what's his success rate for changing people's beliefs whose people's beliefs need to be changed versus sort of an SE style? Just, just when I hear him, I just, wow, that's really interesting. And he just kind of has a different technique that he uses, you know? I think he gives up success rate for audience entertainment value. Or self-entertainment. Yeah. There's a pretty good another comment. (laughs) There's another comment? Which one? This one? Or no? Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Do you want to respond to it? You could read it. it, Rational skeptics do good good to doubt that the natural world is all there is. How can we exist without a creator? I have never seen a rational answer given. How can we exist Hmm. without a creator? I've never seen a rational answer ever given. Like my gut reaction would be to ask a que- yeah personal <laughs> ask a question with another question. I would just ask if we don't know, like what's the best answer? Yeah, it's a good default. I, if you I have it. learned my cosmology almost entirely from people who do not assert a creator, and I am not confused by what they teach me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> The God hypothesis is not a mature model of cosmology. So have your God model predict things that we can test and I'll take them seriously. Indeed. Mm -hmm. If you can make future testable predictions without that component to the model, it may not be necessary. And then uh, go to the, check out the S check out the SU discord. If you want to have that explored further, great place to go. Yeah. Uh, All right. Yeah. Next question. I can do this all day. I'm lost. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, we might lost. have to. There we go. <laughs> what kind of follow up? What kind of follow up do you do with your conversation partners to assess what type of long term effect the conversation has had? Franklin, I don't do a pl- as much as I would like to. It seems like maybe you, Mark, have more of an opportunity, or maybe you're actively reaching out to them for follow-up conversations. Mine are just sort of happenstance. I've, I've employed the the gear thing to encourage people to come back and it usually works. Um, but my, my short answer is not as many opportunities as I would like. 
But the question is, when you have that second opportunity, how does that second opportunity opportunity differ from the first opportunity when your interlocutors had a chance to think about it? You as well. What is there any things that you've noticed most happening on the second go around or third go around? Mm-hmm. My second interviews are always so much better than the first. Sorry, Anthony, go ahead. Mm. My, no, my first interviews are almost always better than the second, but the third ones really? are better than better than the than the first and the second. That's been mm. my experience. Yeah, because like the second one, we're kind of figuring out. Well, what do we talk about? Do we want to pick it up? Are we talking about something related, something completely different? Where do you want to go? And then maybe, um, usually because the first talk was good, there's an expectation that the second talk will go really well, and then when it doesn't, we're sort of both kind of let down. And then maybe by the third one, is this like almost like dating? Maybe I don't know. <laughs> but then, like by the third one, we're we're more comfortable with each other, and like we've lowered our expectations, and then the conversation goes really well. That's usually the trajectory of, of three talks. I know the second date's not working well, but if you date me a third time, <laughs> it's going to be great. Be It'll be better than the first time. <laughs> in in the online practice environment. Uh, the major the the rule is repetition not the, that's not the exception in out in the park it's the exception to have repeats uh on the discord it's very common that people will repeat and i will report that if somebody sticks with it for a month or two 90% of them have significant improvement in their se and will typically um evidence a lot more intellectual humility on their claims a month or two into the process uh, their their maximum confidence goes down on a bunch of things, and they get much clearer uh, about their claims. Reed, what about you? Do you? When you see people the second time, something that you notice versus the first time? I don't think I've had many second conversations, so it's hard to t- hard to say. Okay. Nathan, yours are pretty much one up. Well, you've had a few repeat conversations with people. Uh, have you ever dis- have you ever used the technique Peter Bogosian discusses in his book to ask your interlocutor to ask you a question in order to model how you would like them to answer questions? I've had to do this a couple times. Anyone ever do that? So basically, I only understand the question. Yeah, so I think this is referring to Peter's suggestion that if somebody's waffling or g- giving a really long convoluted response to your question. You could ask them to ask you the same question that you asked them, and then you give a very brief, concise answer with the idea that they'll observe that, and then the next time you ask the same question, they'll be very brief and concise in their response. And I've done that, and that's it's helped. Yeah. Anyone try that? Or no? I guess no more thoughts. That's on a good that. idea. Would this work to decrease? Discrease. Would this work to decrease political divisiveness? How, Glenna? Totally. I think it absolutely could decrease political divisiveness because we need to we need to start talking to people using the terms that they're using and working within the the belief tower that they've constructed. So yeah, that would absolutely. I think this would absolutely decrease political divisiveness if we could just make it happen and and scale it. The scaling part is yeah. the challenge. Right now, because conversation, we do one on ones, and yes, maybe more people will watch it and start doing one on ones. But you need a whole hell of a lot of one on ones to make a difference. Yeah, I'm motivated to do SE because of 
the current state of divisiveness in America. And I just feel like people around me aren't hearing each other out as well as I could. And so by modeling that behavior, I'm hoping that other people pick it up and start asking each other questions rather than debate each other and beat each other over the head with what they say are the right facts to adhere to and to improve the discourse. I honestly don't know what the alternative is. I truly, other than having these kinds of conversations, and I know I sound kind of, (laughs) uh, you know, rigid in that sense, but I don't, I really don't know how else to have these kind of conversations and to change how people form faulty beliefs if they if these if that's what they're doing. I, I just don't know what yeah. else can you do. The social dilemma is that documentary on Netflix pointed out a severe problem. Uh, I happen to be persuaded by it that there is a political divide of ideology, and you can plot it out on a map, and it's just growing further apart. And so how do we reverse that trend or is it in our interest to reverse that trend? What happens if that trend continues? Yeah. What Um, happens? War. I mean, war is the outcome of that. Yeah. I would predict SC techniques would decrease political divisiveness. And I think a good way to test this would be to see how well the the techniques work on clubhouse conversations. If we do a bunch of, you know, rooms and people start to copy what we're doing and they move them into other rooms where they are usually very divisive and, you know, heated very quickly most of the time. So if SE has an effect on those things, it's kind of a natural experiment to see what happens. Yeah. But do you guys think back to the question I had before that we should be, you know, formulating objective data so we can show people like it works here. I'll show you that it works. Yeah. This is the data to show that it works. We need that. We, we absolutely need data. And that's one of the goals of the nonprofit is to find people willing to study what we're doing in street epistemology, identifying what successes are and if we're reaching those goals. It would seem like Peter is in the position to make that happen. No, I don't know. No, not anymore. I don't think he's no. getting much traction in academia. No, but yeah, we, we have, he, we have he really blew up his academic options. Well, why the, why uh, is that? With the with the with the uh, fake studies hoax. Oh boy, here we go. What? <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, James Taylor. I'm sorry, James Lindsay. I don't know why I keep calling him Taylor. And Peter Bogosian and Helen Pluckrose uh, put together a couple of year project where they created fake studies and submitted them to um, uh, peer review in gender <laughs> studies. <laughs> and got a bunch of them published and got a bunch of them not published and oh, were intentionally man. trying to show that their pre-review system was broken. Yeah. Well, it is, but yeah. And, and that brother burned some bridges for <laughs> Peter oh, with I any bet. sort of uh, human studies boards. He just kissed yeah. his career goodbye. I didn't know about that. Gosh. To your point, well, I, I don't have the opinion that fine. was a valuable lesson for us fine. Okay. Mm-hmm. How valuable is that for us to learn, though? How self-sacrificial to put your own career on the line to point out a major problem. He talks. (laughs) Yeah, I'm delighted, but, but unfortunately I I wouldn't want to try to put his name on a, on a study that has to get past human review boards right now. He's made enemies in that camp. But why does academia, are you saying that academia frowns on street epistemology? 
No, 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 no. no they I'm not, I'm they frown on oh, okay. making fake studies and trying to show sure, that their sure, sure. peer review system yeah. is fake. Yeah. It has they, failed. They frown on him personally because they made him look. They made the academia look silly. Yeah. All they're, that being said, though, uh, there are. There are, we've, we've been contacted by a university that wants to do a study, a neurological study on what's happening in street epistemology. So I would that, love to know that in an fMRI, that, what's happening. Yeah. That's what's, that's, what's really exciting. There are people who are willing to take a step back and look at broadly what we're doing and, you know, putting together a study to see if it does what we think it seems to be doing. Yeah. What do you do if the other person turns the same question back on you? Thank them. Go with it. <laughs> Go mm -hmm. with it. Yeah. I, I'll either answer it immediately or ask to answer later and make a mental note to do so. Yep. If I want to not distract into my own thing. And most of the time, if I say, I want to, I want to address that in five or 10 minutes, as soon as we're done with your thing, you can have all the time you like to question me all the questions you want. And I usually yeah. get a I usually get a positive response from that. Yeah, that's good advice. I have seen a few a handful of people turn the question back on you as an attempt to avoid you questioning them. Mm. They'll use it as a tactic to interfere with your ability to explore their belief. And if that happens, then I think you need to address why they're doing it. Is this a difficult topic? Should we be talking about something else? Do you want to have somebody else question you? Mm -hmm. But um, generally, if it's if it's good natured, like I really want to know where you stand on this, what, how would you answer that question? Then you could either answer it or defer it, like Dolly suggested. But keep an eye on it to make sure that it's not constantly being put up as an obstacle to your progress. That is an indication that you have an insincere interlocutor who might be concerned about the questions that you're asking, and they want to interfere with your ability to do so. Dolly, when you hear those questions, do you, is there a, a, what's the main reason when you hear those questions, you think that you're hearing those questions to back to you? What's the main reason that somebody asks my opinion on the subject? Yeah. I think it's because they are used to when they're asked, understanding the other person's perspective, they're expecting somebody to argue for an alternative position. And oh. before they establish their stake oh. in the ground and tell me what their alternative is, they want to know where I'm coming from so they can I position see. themselves. Hmm. And that's that battle versus collaborative mindset that we're trying to overcome. Mm -hmm. So maybe maybe a little bit of time at the front explaining what your intentions are with the conversation can avoid you encountering that kind of response from your conversation partner. Mm -hmm. Good stuff. Have you, have you noticed a bump in repeat customers with the use of the cogwheel? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's been pretty effective. And because I think even though I would invite people back and not give them something, they probably forgot about it, but the fact that they have something in their backpack rattling around, dropping on the floor, it's probably a reminder of the conversation. And then maybe they see me again and they come back up for that other piece. Yeah, it's, it's is it this? There you go, <laughs> right there. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. It's those things. Those yeah. are the ones. Yeah. Uh, every one of the people that repeated in the park last year with me, if they repeated, there was mention of the puzzle piece. Mm -hmm. That's good to know. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. That's not very many, but like, for example, it, stu it, it stuck with them though. It stuck with them, and they and they talked about the piece and getting another one and so on. Mm -hmm. This method seems rather structured to use in everyday pop up conversations around the table, so to speak. It seems more useful for a planned interview, no? Laura, they're pretty structured in the video examples that you see. 
mainly because I'm trying to do a talk in 10 or 15 minutes for YouTube eyes. So there is a structured, plus also I want to make it simple so people can notice patterns when they watch three or four videos. And it's like, oh, this isn't so hard. I've now anticipated the next question that Anthony was going to ask because I've watched five of these videos. So there's benefit to having it structured, but overlaying that structure on a loved relationship that you value can blow up in your face. So you, you mm -hmm. have to relax the structure depending on the situation yeah. that you happen to be in. Daryl Ray is getting good at calling out those structures. Hi, Daryl. Good <laughs> to see you. Is he? How so? What's he doing? Uh, well, he's reviewing SE videos with people that he's talking to on, on, on his shows. And uh, uh, they oh. report that he is able to predict what, what step of the SE is going to happen next. He's, he's good at showing for some, somebody else on an SE video he hasn't seen what the, what the uh, questioner is likely to do. So thank oh, you, Daryl. Good job. I think Daryl or Daniel, question. who are you talking about? Daryl Ray with, with Daniel RFR. Ray. Daniel, Daniel okay. Ray. Sorry, Daniel gotcha. Ray. Daniel, like, of course. Hello, I Daniel. Knew Darryl, I knew Daryl Ray was into SE, but I didn't realize he was going to that level. Uh, I don't, I'm sorry. My, my name database sucks here, but here's my, my, my thought is that it's not problematic if you can anticipate where the questioner is going. I don't think that that's really a problem. It doesn't, it doesn't reflect yeah, no poorly problem. on the questioner. It's like, oh, okay. They're, they're going to a, a destination that is the destination in mind. So I think noticing similarities. I, I think Daniel are, would agree that the, for, that the, the, the format is not a problem. Hmm. Okay. Are the cog wheels for sale? Uh, you can find them on a website called, do I want to promote the website? Just Google sure. um, stress ball gear. Let me see if it works. You mean you didn't hunch them out by things? <laughs> stress ball gear. Hey, yeah. if any of you guys are ordering a pack, let me know. I would like to go in on the order with you. Well, you can order them in bulk and you can even have printing on them. So we could put the logo on it or what, why, how, or you know, faith, or I don't Come back. <laughs> Please come back. Print that on each one. Oh, there we go. There they are. Thank you, Reed. $300? Oh. Yeah, they're, they're pricey. Um, but they'll negotiate. They'll usually negotiate. In bulk, yeah. Go with bulk. Yeah, maybe we should just buy them in bulk as the nonprofit and then resell them or something. I don't know. You said truth was objective. Merch. Can you tell us how you came to that conclusion? Blah! Lawrence. <laughs> I just verbalized the, um, the uh, emoji. Okay, so this is a good question. How can we be so sure the truth is objective, folks? This is actually, I'd really actually, like to hear your answers to this because sometimes I wonder about this myself. Yeah, me too. I actually think about this quite a bit. <laughs> to, the, to the degree that it is true that the, uh, the actual ontology of the world is similar to its appearance, then uh, multiple of us can observe the reality of what is independently and come to an objective understanding of, say, the mass of an electron. Or something. In that sense, I define truth as correspondence with reality that can be observed by multiple viewpoints. So, mm -hmm. truth is objective by definition. 
for my definition of truth. How about you, Nathan? You, you're crawling all over truth with those surveys. <laughs> my, favorite, my favorite way to think about what's true is to really focus in on what it what it's like to be wrong and to just recognize that our idea of what's true is just this abstract understanding that there's an opposite of being wrong or like the least wrong we can be. Um, the least wrong on a particular subject or an idea. And while words are models, like truth claims are models of the external world, so no model will be the thing itself, like the map and the territory, like the map of the territory is always a map and will never be the globe. And in this way, it's always going to be like maybe slightly off though. Isn't there a way to completely misinterpret the territory? And if so, how do we avoid that? Are we interested in avoiding that? Do we care about avoiding that? And if somebody else's map is different than mine, could it lead us to be divisive on what we value or, or do our beliefs inform our values in this way? And suddenly there's a lot at stake once we start talking about how our beliefs inform what we value. And suddenly we acknowledge there are likely truths to be known objectively about what we're talking about. Though there's always like solipsism and other things that come up. I see you writing. What are you doing? Are you writing something down? Are you taking notes? <laughs> <laughs> well, I wasn't quoting you, sorry. But uh, it, it, when you were talking about scouting things out, it reminded me of Julia Galef's new book coming out. I think it's called The Scout Mindset. And it's this idea of, of put, putting yourself, maybe you should do a TED talk by the same name. That might not be, might, might not be the name of the book. I thought it was, but she, she promotes this method or this idea, this concept of, of um, taking a step back and looking and seeing the, the lay of the land, figuring things out before you start making any rash, rash decisions. Your little your little soliloquy there was reminding me of that. Cool. That's awesome. For, for me, it's kind of covered in this quote um, from Charles Sanders Pierce. Uh, if we're talking about objective, I think it's close to the meaning of the word public here. Unless truth be recognized as public, as that of which any person would come to be convinced if he carried his inquiry, his sincere search for a movable belief far enough, then there would be nothing to prevent each one of us from adopting an utterly futile belief of his own, which all the rest will disbelieve. Each one will set himself up as a little prophet, that is, a little crank, a half-witted <laughs> victim of his own narrowness. Mm. That's the utility of having truth be recognized as public, as, as objective. There you go. Yeah, just try to carry on a society where everyone thinks truth is subjective, and we'll see how well it turns out. I heard a story of a guy who intentionally set out to live as if, as if truth was subjective and he started, I wish I remember who the person was, but I guess it just became a real shit show very quickly. I think some interesting things come from the studying of consciousness, the idea that our perceptions are tuned to fitness and not necessarily to truth. I think those are kind of interesting things to think about mm -hmm. that our physical reality cannot be separated from the mind and, and 
that consciousness arguably is what connects us to the external world and that there's really no objective world that's uh, uncolored maybe by consciousness. Um, but that's, I just find it interesting to think about in terms of, you know, objective universal truth that we've evolved, our realities evolved to be finely tuned to what is, to not what is objectively true, but more to what, to fitness, to help us survive. What, what works. Yeah. yeah. What is the success rate that you've had from Lawrence? We'd have to define what a success. Yeah. What, yeah. What's our measure of success? That's a, that's, I a, that's, success that's the bigger question. I end the conversation on good rapport and I've attempted to have an SE uh, where I haven't blown it up. I haven't killed rapport. So the attempt has been made and it was successful in having the conversation come to a positive conclusion. Hmm. So based on I liked that what you said last time, Dolly. What was that? Uh, last time you, you said, uh, or maybe I misheard you, or maybe I'm misremembering, but I remember hearing you say something like, um, if that my conversation partner wants to speak with me again, then yeah, that's, that's a how good I measure of success. As an approximation. Okay. If they would be interested right, in having a similar conversation again in the future, that's for me the indication yeah. that rapport went well. Yeah. By that definition of success, I would be up there to at a ninety-eight percent. I think that's a fair. <laughs> that's a low bar, though. But yeah, yeah. You think it's a low bar? What would be a higher bar? Like, what would you? No, I mean, I mean, like maybe there's a higher bar, uh, a higher standard of success, uh, other than just like having them want to speak <laughs> with you again. Maybe there's something else. Yeah. <clears throat> what would that the be? The next level of success would be evidence that they had gone through the critical thinking process, real good evidence of their success would be that they had shifted their perspective, shifted their confidence, maybe shifted their claim and as a result what you, of, the, what of you the critical think. review. Yeah. Yeah. Moments of aporia or I've never thought of that before. Those are really good for me to hear. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If it's only aporia, 90%. Aporia. If it's the other standard, I only know about 50%. Hmm. I've, asked, yeah, I've asked people about God religion and why they believe in something with little to no evidence and I've received answers such as it's just a feeling I have, or I know it in my heart to be true. What are good follow-up questions to respond to such as these? Well, the it's, it's the application of those same reasons or methods on other avenues of your life. And if they reliably bring you to the truth of the matter, this is why I like to get more than one claim on the table when I do a long form interview, mm -hmm. because um, usually I'll get like one claim is I believe uh, that souls exist or something to that effect. Another claim could be, I believe the election was stolen. And the third one could be the earth is flat. So I have like a spectrum of things to compare it to and see if their feelings that they use for the soul could be a reliable way to know whether or not the election is stolen. And if the answer is no, then I would like to know why their standard is different for one and not the other. And could it be that one would lead you astray if somebody had the reverse of that and used their feelings to conclude that the election was or was not stolen? Um, could they be mistaken on those grounds? And if yeah. so, how do we then look at our idea about a soul yeah i like that it's good it's kind of the play on the even or odd 
is uh, feelings the best way to know whether something is even or odd in your even or odd example that we all probably use? Yeah. This is usually where they say, well, when the claim is more important to you or it has a bigger impact on your life, that's when your feelings work better or something. They'll usually find a way to equivocate or justify to justify the standard being different yes exactly which then Mm -hmm. you can still explore well if this if this belief really carries more weight for you would you want which are you satisfied with going off of feelings when we recognize because of the other examples that it can't be as reliable as maybe you think that it is okay I notice we are at yeah. two hours. We have roughly 24 questions remaining. That would take oh. roughly one more hour. Would we like to power through or call a, call a part one, part two? I'm fine to power through myself. I'm fine for another hour. Let's do it. Yeah. All right. Cool. <laughs> okay. Jordan Peterson and Matt Dillahunty had a non-confrontational discussion about God. Late in the discussion, with no resistance, Dr. Peterson told Matt that he wasn't an atheist. He only thought he was. Don't ever do that to Matt. Let me just tell you, that's not that's not a good way to maintain rapport. I appreciated Matt's strong comeback. How would you have responded to Dr. Peterson's assertion? I threw that last word in there. And this is from Mark. What leads you to believe that you know my mind better than I do? Right. That would seem like a defensive making question, but it's a real essay question. What leads you to that conclusion? Are there other, are there other beliefs that you think I hold better than the ones that better than this one? And what would that be? Let's play it. Let's play it. This is sweet. Oh yeah. Yeah. Don't have it up. It's just for background. How do you know the spot? Oh, okay. Okay. I don't I don't know where the spot is. Oh, okay. You just, okay. (laughs) Yeah. We don't want any copyrights or anything going on here. So there is, um, there are situations when you can know someone's mind better than that person knows their mind in a certain situation. Maybe with kids. Like I, I, I know my daughter's really, really tired and she does not need to play another hour on the playground. It's time to go home. There are instances there, I suppose, but this is an adult talking to an adult. How dare you? I feel you this is one of those. Something? Yeah, I feel deeply triggered when people tell me that I think a certain way when I don't think that way. I there's there's that's one of the better ways to trigger me. <laughs> so and what, um, I'm, what I'm really curious is, did Peterson have any hesitation, whatever whatsoever, before he made that assertion, or did he tentatively surface that? If it was confidently projected, then I think that that's even more problematic, maybe than than what he was actually saying. Like, it was confident man. as fuck. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Everyone should see this if they haven't question. seen it. It's great. What was the? Yeah. What's the question? How would you How would you respond to that type of assertion on your own views? I think was the question. A um, real risky way, and it's real risky. Um, could be, you know an outsider test for this. If I were to, I mean, it's super risky. I almost hesitate to even say this, but you could just say, if I were to characterize your beliefs that you thought something one way, when you really thought a different way, or you felt that you thought a different way, um, how would that make you feel? Or how would you think about my characterization of your views? Or how would you, you know, you could just challenge it by flipping it. It's real risky though, because now all of a sudden you're fighting rather than um, hearing each other out. Um, 
but man, I'm so triggered by that. Let's try steel manning Peterson's position a little bit. Why don't we try that? Okay. Like maybe he has an unusual def. What's wrong, Dali? You're free. <laughs> no, I'm just like, oh, this is fun. Let me yeah, see. I mean, let me see if I can try that on. I'm trying. Maybe Peterson has a, a unique definition of the word God to which Matt really does adhere to. Mm. And like thinks is goodness. Actually real. God is goodness. Or the universe. Right? And, like since God is, and since you're good, you must yeah. be. So if Jordison defines God as the totality of all there is or something, you know, within the observable universe. Yeah. And that, if he that's defines what he means. theist as somebody who wants good. Okay. I'm a theist. Hmm. Yeah. If anyone it's ever not usually talks what people Peterson, mean though. Work out your definitions in advance with that one in particular. One of my favorite books is Everybody is Wrong About God by James Lindsay. And he has an alternative way of conceptualizing the word God. He, he uses it to mean like um, an alternative way to, to make sense of God is that it's it's just an idea that humans being human beings use to ma manage their cycle of social needs. Uh, so that's just one option for conceptualizing God. And that, you know, Peterson is a clinical psychologist. So I assume that might be something he's talking about. Uh, the problem, though, is that the people who listen very closely to what he says are not going off of that definition of God. It's their own personal God that they think he's endorsing. That's my sense. And that's that's all they need to see an ally in him, I think. Yeah, Peterson is very mythological. He thinks of God as like a, a character. So if, if that character exists and it's like like the pinnacle of virtue and, and goodness. If we don't believe in that, we're kind of equivocating to, we don't believe in virtue and goodness. So if you're not that that person, then you're not an atheist. It's like, we have to switch out these words and definitions to make it. Yeah. That de Peterson's definition of atheist would also be, be curious to hear. I wonder if he gets into that P with that talk with Matt. Peterson also talks about uh, a, um, he kind of redefines truth. Like he says, truth is something it's that which persists in embodied reality <laughs> or something to that degree. To that I thought he, I thought he more attributed it to, and maybe he, he lumped this lumps this in with that, but that, which gives us value that as I think more closer to his definition mm -hmm. of truth than what yeah, you said. Utilitarian tied with popularity. Hmm. Yeah. But I think utilitarian case, it's not about correspondence. Right. Not about correspondence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's about value for him. Right. Okay. Okay. What's good, the next one? Good question. Oh, by the way, these are the, these oh, were the, most of these questions are not the answer. Go to training class, go to the training sessions that we offer. Right. That was the more, first these, are, these are a little bit more advanced, but in no particular order. Well, they might be in alphabetical order by person's first name. Do you consider yeah, exactly. yourself a D programmer? If so, can I hire you? Can I hire you to talk to my sixty-year-old Q niece? <laughs> I can't tell you how many people have reached out to me to say, "Can you help me with this specific situation?" By which I then say, I, "I'm so sorry, I don't have the time." But there's communities of people who are in your exact situation who are learning this approach to try to figure it out, and then I give them a whole bunch of links to go to the to those places. So I will speak from the community and say, I am not a deprogrammer. 
no, you may not hire me. And I'm happy to speak to your niece if she wants to talk to me. Right. You want to do that, huh? Sure. I'd be happy to speak to anybody. Uh, I see anybody who volunteers. Yeah. What have been some of the biggest challenges in your journey of becoming a better street epistemologist or conversationalist in general? Any tips to overcome those challenges? Miko. Well, that's a good one. Um, getting in the courage to get up there and record yeah. yourself and get consent to record other people, especially if it's quite literally on the street. Cause then you're, uh, f you feel really weird. There's like you this, do. what am I doing right now? Yeah. Kind of feeling. And then like cutting through that, like, Oh man, am I a weirdo? Cause I'm like literally just inviting conversations with strangers. Uh, though you get through that really quick because you start to realize there's probably no better way to like become acquainted with a stranger. Um, cutting through that. And then also the listening back to yourself on the audio recording, which yeah. for me has been the most beneficial out of all of this. Like uh, the, the amount of self-reflection for myself on how to ask other people questions has really been beneficial to me. So if you can stomach hearing yourself speak and making lots and lots of mistakes along the way, mm -hmm. so that way you can learn from them and do better next time. Yep. Um, that's the biggest challenge I'd say for, for myself. Great, Nathan. Yeah. Listen to your mistakes. Yeah. Don't, don't let the mistakes bother you too much to the point where you're scared to continue progressing. And by the way, I just started editing the video with Edgar. It's, he's the Christian that has the drone and he flies it overhead and then he comes back. He watches a couple videos and then he does SE. And I was just watching the footage because I'm editing it up. And there's about three minutes or four minutes where he's just out there with the whiteboard. I'm gone. He takes my whiteboard and he's doing SE. And I was thinking, do I cut this part or leave it in? And I'm th I think I'm going to leave it in. I want to leave that four minutes of struggle in there of him to find somebody because I want the viewers to empathize with him, you know, and be like, oh, he stuck it out. And he ended up having a really good talk because he did that. That'll be awesome. Yeah. Can't wait for that. Yeah, just stick with it. Have you ever changed your mind as a result of one of these conversations, Nirev? Yes. Lots of the it's time. Happened. Yes. It's happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Especially yes. in practice, people will come in with relatively... Okay, sometimes we get some wild claims, but people will often bring a relatively banal claim, and I'll learn something new. So I didn't think they were wrong before, but I didn't know about it. Does that conclude in changing my mind? Those are easy. I'm sure I've people also want to hear had, some examples. Had people convince me to change my mind based on what they brought. I'm trying to think of an example. My mind usually changes on, on many things. It's not necessarily the topic at hand. It might be... I need to be a little bit more gentler the next time I ask that kind of question. Like, so my mind is changing mm -hmm. on all sorts of different aspects. Although I suspect that this question is intended, you know, is related to the discussion or the topic at hand. I had a geological engineer come in and do an SE on the subject of fracking. And my overall political opinion of fracking hasn't changed much, but it's much more nuanced. Mm. My opinion is much more nuanced than it used to be. Excellent. When talking about truth, what do you think about the postmodern view that truth is a property of language? Man creates language, therefore man creates truth. Perish. 
is that Rorty or just trying to think of where that Richard goes Rorty, yeah. yeah. It's like the truth is out there, but we can't access it. We're kind of stuck in our language games. There's a Cardinal my correspondence truth. definition of truth pulls the teeth on this. How? How so? Um, because it's not just about the words you use. We could speak completely different languages, but our math is going to end up being the same. Even if you're using Roman numerals and I'm using Arabic, uh, some things are constrained by reality and any accounting system that can be accurate can be used. It doesn't matter what numerals, it doesn't matter what words you use to build it up if you're checking against reality. Yeah, Tic Tacs to the rescue on this one. Yeah. Could you talk about some possible responses from the other person to the question, how could we verify if this is really true? So what kind of responses would you do we typically see when we ask them, how do you, how could we verify that this is really true? I've heard thousands of different responses to this question. Some people say it doesn't matter. Some people say, go with your gut, run a test, <laughs> go with what you think is the best. I mean, there's all sorts of different responses. Probably the more important thing is how do you respond to the response that they're giving rather than coming up with a list of responses to this one? Yeah. There's a really common list of responses that happen in practice. Once people have seen other people's responses, they will often say, a study that shows the result is X. Huh. How do you know this policy is a good idea? Um, the, it, there became a natural example where we could observe that X and Y leads to Z with enough statistical confidence that and so on. They'll, they'll answer something that is like middle of the road, really simple epistemology, good reason to believe something, and leave it at that. That's common. Hmm. hmm. Maybe in your common in your training sessions, perhaps where there's people yes, who are familiar common with in the training sessions. Yeah, yeah. Out in the park, that's ten percent. In the training sessions, it's thirty percent, fifty percent. Do you ever get an unusual answer to this question, Nathan? I'm curious with all your all your survey questions. It's always different. I mean, this is like kind of too almost too vague for me to answer because I'm really just listening to what they're saying would change their mind or how they came to know it, and then. I asked them if that's the best way to know. Yeah. Here's the danger though. If you, if, if Paul asked this question so that they can be prepared when they get the, res these responses, that's probably the wrong way of thinking about SE. Like you don't really need right. to do much prep other than just to prepare yourself to take yourself out of it and listen to what they're saying as honestly as possible. So there's, you don't need to do a lot of yeah. planning. Yeah. I'd say Sunday, the, I had a claim the test. Go ahead. Just to wrap up and then I'll be done. Um, if they have a test or they say they've tested a thing, it's really important to me that I know that this test can both pass, which is already established because they used it presumably to conclude their conclusion, but that also this test has a failure component too. Like, And I want to know whether or not they could identify uh, a failure of this test if it happened. Like if, or is there some way in which the test can show them the answer they don't want to see maybe, or 
and something that could reveal that it's not true. And if the test doesn't have that quality, if it only ever um, affirms the belief, but uh, mm -hmm. under no conceivable situation could it ever disconfirm the belief, then I want to call into question the test itself. Is this really a good test? Or is this a way to confirm our idea in a biased way um, and shed light on that? Yeah. And when it comes Sometimes to the answer to the question is not great. I had a claimant on Sunday in practice say that human civilization is approximately 1,500 years old, perhaps closer to 1,200. And the primary reason to verify that is because we can't know, we, we don't have a good chain of evidence on the documents that show it's older. But we do have lots of examples of somebody forging documents to make something seem older. Therefore, because we don't know, it's it's a, a tenth as long as we expect it to have been. And never mind, yes, I do recognize that that means radioactive dating has to be wrong, and also the length of day being 24 hours or not also has to shift over the last thousand years. So sometimes the answers are not great. Mm-hmm. Another way to conceptualize a test rather than like positive and negative results, but like results that are consistent with the hypothesis or inconsistent with the hypothesis. If the hypothesis is true, you would expect this. If we do a test and we don't find it or we find something very different, that's a that's something not consistent with the hypothesis. And that makes us great point. Yeah, and that's that's the type of way I think about it. Yeah. Nice. Should the conversation arc be modified when the conversation is with a really close friend? So the conversation arc is a reference to the talk that I gave to CFI, which we'll have a link to. And I basically took all the modules that make up the SE course, well, most of them, not all of them, and then called it the conversation arc. Would you ever modify that? The arc doesn't really change, but the amount of time you spend on each step maybe changes. We kind of hinted at that about the QAnon discussion. Like you might want to spend more time building trust, rapport, listening, active listening, reflective listening before you spend time on the reasons and method, for example. And that probably carries over to the familiarity of your conversation partner. The more they know you or your position, you probably can afford to spend, you probably can't afford to spend more. Well, what am I trying to say here? You probably have to spend less time in reasons and methods when the person knows you more. That seems to be the case. But the, the arc itself, I don't think it would change that much. I can think of counterexamples yeah. of people who I have that are close in my life where I would have to spend two or three times as much effort on maintaining rapport on a topic. And, yeah. and I know that because I know them really well compared right. to a stranger. So it can go the other direction. I think it's more about how much emphasis on rapport versus this or that. Yeah. Not, I agree that the the arc wouldn't change. It would just be emphasis. But that's just because of who, because they just happen to be, be being questioned by you. But if it was a complete stranger, I wonder if they would be more charitable with the, the bluntness of the conversation and give be a little bit more forgiving with the lack of that attention that you would be giving and still stick with it and allow that person to question them. This gets to something that I've been thinking that it's not a hard and fast rule, of course, but 
maybe the more familiar you are with the person, the less opportunity there would be to do an essay talk with them, or at the very least, the amount of time that you have to spend with them. There's a, there's a coral, there's a, there's a algorithm or there's some sort of, there's an equation of sorts here that you have to spend more time on the softer elements of SE, the more familiar you are with the person that you're questioning. Hmm. That seems, it seems like there's something to that. Cause I, there was a post in the, in the SE discord just now, maybe I'll read it. Um, it was under SE advice. Let me pull it up here. Yeah, I have, I have I it. I think uh, that right here. conversations with close friends are an even better opportunity to really get at the root of why somebody thinks something. Um, the only thing that I would say is um, make sure that your priority is the friendship. I mean, or if your priority is a friendship, then just bear that in mind while you're going through um, the talk with them uh, that you're there together to figure out their idea. Um, and uh, yeah, if you want a good example, I have uh, my talk with Abram, who's a close friend of mine. We do four interviews <laughs> and they're all like two hours long. So if you want to uh, see what that's like, check it out on my channel. Yeah. I just, there's, there might be something to this and this is, this could probably be tested, but there's, there's some relationship between the familiar familiarity of the questioner to the amount of time you need to spend on these stages of the conversation arc. This it's person like had to spend a lot more time. Seems kind of um, intuitive, but yeah. It does seem counterintuitive. Yeah. You would yeah. think it would be the complete opposite. You can get right to the reasons and method, but it doesn't seem to be the case. Mm -hmm. So even though I have a like a 98% success rate, there's a lot of close relationships. I would not be willing to risk a one in 50 chance. So my solution in that case is to externalize, to delegate, to ask yeah. somebody else yeah. who's an SE -er to do the SE, because if they nuke their relationship with my friend, that's not going to hurt me. <laughs> right. Maybe that's it. Maybe because both of you sense that there's a lot at stake with the, to the relationship. If you explore this topic in this way, maybe that's the the barrier that's really slowing you down. So if you, if you take that element out of it, perhaps... Yeah, I'd, I'd much rather have somebody else I see my neighbor. Yeah, we did see an interesting workaround about a year ago. We were doing, uh, there was a guy who interviewed his sister in his backyard, but he was the moderator basically. And people from the SE community were on a Discord channel listening and then typing questions. And then he would select the question to ask his sister. And I yeah. thought that was a unique take on, on like that. taking yourself out of it when it's a relationship that you value because of that barrier that we were just talking about. Was that campfire combos? Mm hmm. I modeled my channel after that. Hmm. Oh, wow. My live streams operate that way where the live people in the discord ask questions and I select from them about half the questions I ask come from other people typing them. Yeah. Cause I, I guess from the perspective of his sister, it wasn't him asking the questions. He was the facilitator selecting the best question, hopefully from her mind, um, taking into account her, the relationship that he cherished with her and, and, you know, not picking gotcha questions, but to picking really good ones. And it, yeah, there might be something to that. I've had some guests, uh, I think cut me more slack because it was somebody else asking. Yeah. 
Do you think you're positioning yourself as the dominant partner in the conversation, asking permission to continue and giving a heads up that you can rock their world, et cetera, seems to do that. Yeah. This is a concern yes. that I have. Like I, I do think mm. I'm conduct, I'm out here with my camera conducting interviews and I'm looking for people to let me interview them. So there's a, there's a leadership role that you're immediately, you, you're not starting off as equals, but you want to try to explore their belief as equals. So you're already starting from a troublesome spot as you being the dominant person. Possibly mm -hmm. if you're a 25 year old out there with your camera and a 50 year old walks up, that's not necessarily the case. But if you're a 50 year old and you're interviewing 25 year olds, that very well could be the case. So age could be a factor, the type of clothing that you're wearing, the topic that you're talking about, your race, your gender. These are all factors that come into play here, I think. You know, I've thought I of this before. I've even, I've even sat yeah, in a chair that was lower than my conversation partner just so I didn't seem to rise above them. I've actually done that before. So nice. yeah, it's something to keep in mind. <laughs> I've 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 leaned down yeah, to yeah. make myself not as tall for some people. Mm -hmm. But who knows what they're interpreting when I do that? Like, oh it's the flip-flops gets people to relax. We should it's also run smart. In Runyon Canyon, we have a slope. So we always put the, the questioner on the downside of the slope for that reason. On the downside of the slope. Downside. Why would you I would think you want to elevate them? Elevate the them, yes. The questioner, that's me. Uh, oh, the, que the interrogator, the I put okay. on the low side of the table. Sorry, yeah, I confused them. Yeah. Uh, and but the, the main thing I'm concerned about are power dynamics that are outside the conversation. Yes. If I was your landlord, no. <laughs> Boss. Get somebody else employee, to do it. Wow, yeah. Maid. Yeah. Do you really want to SE your house cleaning crew when they're going to probably be deferential to you to begin with? No, like I don't want that. And you can, you can, point those things out before you get into it to try to mitigate it, but there's still, it's still there. Yeah. If you're somebody's boss, please don't interrogate your employees <laughs> too much. Even if, even if you're at the bar after work and you're, you're no longer boss and employee. And please don't be the one to assign them an SER person because they will get, they will, the, the power transfers. <laughs> Maybe just bear it in mind and and put and air it out. Like, hey, if I were to have this conversation with you, I'm your boss. Like, would it be would it would you feel weird? Like, if I ask you questions about this idea, like, or if I challenge your views on this, maybe just like be transparent about it. Yeah, talk know. about it. Put it in the, out in the open. Just something to be thinking about. But I do think these power differentials do uh, play into more than we sometimes realize, and uh, consider the conversations in very different ways. Just depending mm -hmm. on where you do the interview, even, you know? Um, yeah. I've got a, a talk coming up with Shannon Q. She wants to talk about conversational ethics. And I've written down a few things to talk about, and power dynamics is one of them. I think we we need to explore how how that's a factor in these conversations. And I don't think it should like it it shouldn't be. You should try to minimize that dynamic as much as you can. This could be especially difficult if you're talking about identity and you happen to be somebody who is aligned or not aligned with one of the identities in question. Yeah. yeah. Would it be helpful in those situations just to talk about that like you just did? I mean, just, I think so. Yep. You have to be transparent about that too. 
Look, let you know. Right. Yep. Can you talk about the principle of charity, Scott? Good thing to do. What is the principle of charity? It's just, it's uh, assuming someone is uh, what is it? Uh, Interpreting word, in words in the light that makes them look the best. I thought it was benefit, something to do with benefit of the doubt. Yes, I could be mistaken. Like you, if when they're you rounding, first hear don't something, correct them. If uh, like if, if, if somebody if you can says understand a, a term, cat, yeah. If they use a term and one of the definitions kind of is nonsensical, but the other definition kind of makes sense, assume they mean the kind of makes sense definition. Maybe ask uh, them, but assume assume the best of their communication. Read it in the kindest way first. Yeah, it's the principle of, of charity, it says uh, on Wikipedia, the principle of charity requires interpreting a speaker's statements in the most rational way possible and in the case of any argument, considering its best, strongest possible interpretation. This is Rappaport rules. This is street epistemology. It's like steel manning, not straw manning. Yeah. The, mm -hmm. the frustrating thing, uh, though, is when your conversation partner, either they don't recognize that you're doing it or, and or they don't do it back to you. So like the, the Peterson quip about Matt not being an atheist, or I don't know exactly remember what it was. Like that wasn't a question or a statement coming from a place of charity. Peterson should have asked Matt. Good point. question rather than asserting it. And so that that's mm -hmm. an example where charity wasn't happening. I think it seems to me that it is important to the entire process to question your own self first before you enter this process with someone else. Your thoughts on this Stanley. Absolutely. Yeah. Modeling, uh, modeling the behavior of an open mind. And if you, um, if you're going into an interview with somebody and you're asking a skill question, I would say, think in your own mind where you might be on that scale too. And if you're asking what it would take to slide on the scale while you're thinking about it, maybe consider what it would take for you to slide in the opposite direction to match your conversation partner. Um, apply an outsider test to yourself of these questions before you just go with asking them. Yeah. Maybe a good idea. Definitely ask yourself what's motivating you to do this. Why do I care what these other people think? Am I open to changing my mind? Yeah, this kind of goes gets also to that affirmation that we talked about just briefly too. Like having a, having a little quick dialogue with yourself about what you're attempting to accomplish can help pull yourself out of it and make it about them. Yeah. Yeah, if you consider yourself closed-minded on an issue, um, should you really be questioning maybe, others about it? Yeah. Right. Yeah. You should yeah. know why you do and, SC, and, SC to begin with. I mean. What is your motivation for, you know, having these having these talks? And they can differ. I mean, I think the five of us would, would probably differ on why we mm -hmm. do this publicly, right? And yeah. uh, it's mm -hmm. just good to have a handle on that, I think. Also, if you don't do this step and you go out to do SE, you'll probably find yourself doing this step. You'll start to wonder mm -hmm. why you're doing it and what's motivating you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so even if you forget actually. to do it, it'll come back to you. 
when you start realizing how powerful your questions can be on some of these claims people make. How many more questions do we have left, roughly, would you say? One, four, five, six. Fifteen. Have you noticed a denomination or religion that seems harder to SE with? I have. What's your favorite? The hardest. Well, I, I hesitate to say this because then people think that they're more difficult. It's not the person. Okay, Jehovah's Witnesses only because they seem to be stigmatized from exploring the reasons with people yeah which is really weird because they're always you know seemingly promoting their beliefs but yeah. um they're very cautious about being on camera and being recorded mm -hmm. were you there that i think you were there that day nathan when i was on that campus in portland yeah. and there were some jehovah's witnesses there one of them walked up to me i, I talked about this oh that's you know, right i nearly forgot about that because they never they, uh, she asked me to interview she right? had never agreed. She just walked up. We started chatting before we knew it. I was doing SE. And she asked Yet me she was this. doing the opposite. She was tabling herself. Like she was trying to draw people in and, and explain things yeah. to people. And here yeah. you were very open and ready to receive a lot of information from them. And I think whether it's because you, uh, I don't know, had a camera strapped around your chest. Maybe that was part of it. Or... Some other thing was happening here. I, mean, I think you even mentioned like you wouldn't need to necessarily record the interview or post it anywhere. Uh, and they still would nonetheless not agree to talk to you. It's kind of strange. Well, the, the, the deal there was that she was completely fine with me asking all the questions, I think. It wasn't until she went back to the cart where another one of her... What do you oh, call told it? her not to. Partners yeah. said, hey, her I, partners. I suspect it was something like, you do realize he was recording you there, right? <laughs> something probably something mm. to that effect but um yeah to that question it's not like jehovah's witnesses are more difficult to use this approach with i'd ask the exact same questions regardless of your claim and what belief and anything but it was the it was the the tribe's rules that were making it difficult so mm -hmm. that's what i'm trying to point out here that, that that certain tribes might have specific rules like you shouldn't talk to people about that topic and then yeah. if there's penalties, then you're going to encounter difficulties with this approach. I think for myself, the answer is Jehovah's Witnesses and presuppositionalists for the same reason that they have the most ingrained defenses against epistemology. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it might even be Scientologists too, because a lot of the conversations that we have get into the psychology of belief and I think that's been stigmatized quite a bit in that culture. So Have there you guys are, talked with a Scientologist? Um, not I, about I, Scientology. Yeah. All right, uh, next question. I've talked to ex-Scientologists. Not the same thing. Right. Same. Can you speak briefly on pie charting the reasons why someone believes to help avoid a gishgallop? Steve. Mm. This one's pretty self-explanatory and basic to most people interested in SE, but we'll cover it. It's a great question. <laughs> Basically, if you can ask somebody to list the top three or four reasons why they think something is true, you can ask how they're weighting those reasons. And then that helps you get an, a sense of which reason you might want to tackle first, depending on your goals. It's useful. I just like the pie chart analogy because 
it makes it seem as if I could have five reasons, each of which would get me to 20% confidence that should get me to 100%. When in reality, I probably have five reasons, any one of which would get me over 50%, and I'm only at 80%. So it's they don't stack. Mm. Now, I, I might well have a reason that is the most convincing to me. Mm -hmm. So to sequence my reasons by order of impact, probably quite, quite useful. Yeah. And then we could ask the question, if you didn't have just that reason, how much would that affect your, your, your uh, confidence? And if we looked at all the different reasons and found the one that would affect the confidence the most, then you're good. But that doesn't neatly fit on a pie, on a pie chart. Pie charting could also be useful when you break the pie slices into categories because you can have a category called personal experience, which covers five reasons that they have. But now you've just nightly, you, you've nicely tidied them up into one little package with a nice bow on it and you're calling it personal experience. And so if you can recognize together that that's not a good reason for thinking that this is true to a high degree of confidence, you can set aside all five of those things with just that one pie, pie slice. So thinking of your beliefs, or at least the confidence that contributes to your belief being true in those slices can be really useful. This gets to the efficiency of SE. You can set aside lots of different things that have no bearing whatsoever on their confidence level. Would it be useful to come across as more tentative in your own beliefs? Yeah. If that's the case, like don't fake it. I wouldn't advise faking it and, and pretending to be more open or tentative in your own position, but it's helpful if you can express that you are. Do you think it makes sense to practice on a less controversial topic or should we jump into the God talk? The God talk may not be controversial to some people. Yeah, I don't say that's the most controversial. There's, I'd say that there's other conversations I've had that got way heat, more heated than the God yeah. conversation. Um, most people that think God is real don't see it as a controversial topic because they're so sure that it's true. And they often think that you think it's true or you should think it's true. Yeah, it may even be the easiest one to talk about. It is an easy one to talk about. Which is another reason why I would like be encouraging of people practicing SE to eventually like, you know, if you have a long term goal in mind, I mean, you do you, but I'd like to see SE as a, as a movement on the internet, um, grow more and more often to the weeds and to other subjects, my own opinion. Yeah. And so this, this question though, who's a controversial to, if it's controversial to you, then that's your problem that you need to deal with when that topic comes up. If it's controversial to your conversation partner, you're going to notice more defensiveness and you might have to spend more time building rapport and trust. Mm -hmm. I think, I think the benefits of practice are not just to get the, the structure and, and to learn examples, but also to desensitize ourselves. So for the desensitization part of practice, the more controversial, the better. And in this case, I'm going to define controversial as the in, the questioner and the claimant have very opposing views, whatever that might be. Hmm. 
Yeah. Anything else? That's a good question. What is the ultimate goal of street epistemology? Asks Todd. That's a very good question. I actually had my mind changed on this. Well, let's hear it. What, what was your view and what is it now? Um, okay. So I think before it was, um, to resolve disputes of understanding, which was like, that was my favorite way of phrasing it. Uh, or maybe it was like resolve disputes and I didn't add of understanding. And since I've thought mm -hmm. clarity was more when, when you two, I think it was both Reed and, uh, Anthony said clarity, just like a single word. I was like, ah, yeah, that's probably it. Um, and then my mind changed. And I was like, yeah, that is a better way. And like a, a more to the point, um, clarity for them, clarity for myself, um, clarity on how to interpret words. It's like so many times we misunderstand words, uh, because I am assuming the other person's using the same word, um, has the same understanding for the same word as me. And we miss that. So clarity is probably. Yeah. That's a big goal for me. <clears throat> it's not just my own clarity, but giving them clarity into their own views. Yeah. As a mirror to them. Yeah. I think the larger, a, a larger goal is that so we can all live together and not mm. kill each other. <laughs> yeah. Let's yeah. solve these problems that are facing us. Right? Yeah. That's, I'm gonna and that's what inspired me to get into critical it. thinking and having productive conversations when that isn't easy. Read. Yeah, when it's not easy, yeah. That we can talk about anything. Is it still clarity for yeah. you or you shift on something? Yeah, it's uh you know, Sam Harris has that quote about, you know, there's only the alternative between conversation is violence. Like that's our dichotomy. And if we have that on a spectrum, violence on one end, maybe SE is like the the most nonviolent thing that you can do to talk about, you know, to manage conflict and to actually progress. Mm. Yeah. Maybe that's something that's really good. The most nonviolent thing that is still productive. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yes. Right. Are you guys getting a lot of pressure not to talk about certain topics? with people or that you'd be no. platforming them or I don't know, showcasing bad ideas. I hear of people you complaining know. about this stuff and getting deep platform, but I haven't experienced it yet. I have felt discouraged to post um, certain interviews, uh, not because of anyone telling me, but because I felt that there might be a certain backlash or retribution for um, platforming a view uh, that was unpopular and mm -hmm. even though my goal was to bring clarity to the idea and seek the ways in which to best understand it even if it happened to be true if it's controversial or it rose people the wrong way i i may alienate some of my friends to surface the idea mm -hmm. uh, and so i actually have a couple of interviews that are like that that I haven't posted, not because they weren't good interviews, but because I um, feel self-aware in the way it may make some people feel. I mean, I know this sounds weird, but mm -hmm. you know, I've got relationships to to keep, um, mm -hmm. and so I'd rather broach those like conversations. Culture kind of thing is that what you're talking about? Like a, uh, yeah, okay. Um, also, there's just um, 
wool culture stuff, sure, identity issues usually are are things that people will talk to me about. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There is that concern at the back of my mind that maybe some video that I've uploaded could be weaponized to show, well, look at this dumb argument that this person has, and therefore I'm more justified in my position, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't I don't really want that to happen. There really shouldn't be topics that are off limits unless there is an imminent harm to somebody by doing right. that show. It's more like the public mm -hmm. domain sort of thing, like yeah okay here's an example i would not mm -hmm. publicly live stream with somebody who was making the claim sex before eight or it's too late uh -huh. if somebody is publicly proclaiming that they want to do something that we <laughs> are we have a big issue about and is very illegal i don't want to discuss potentially having crimes oh mm. six or eight i, thought I don't want to expose yeah. somebody I thought you're talking about 8 p.m. All right, I got you. <laughs> it, yeah, have... no, no, not, right. not time of day. All right, I got you. <laughs> Are you saying that you'd still talk with them, but you wouldn't do it in a video? I would not do it publicly. I would yeah, not be willing publicly. to expose someone to the public situation of having them talk yeah. about wanting to do crimes yeah. or something okay. of that order. No, no, I, I would have a private conversation, sure. And I would probably mm -hmm. be very level-headed and, and calm about it. But, but no, I'm not going to put that on YouTube. Or, yeah. or for anywhere else public. Anthony, have you ever had someone else lead the conversation? And what was that like for you? I'm wondering if someone who has been on the other side makes for a better facilitator. Yeah, I've got a couple of videos on my channel with a guy. I don't remember his name now. But we were talking about atheism <clears throat> and veganism. And he was a bright, young person who asked great questions. Quit. Quid pro quo? Quid pro quo <laughs> is one of them. And I think the other one is an atheist gets cross because he wears a cross around his neck, even though he's an atheist. That was phenomenal. It's what funny though, because you, you say that you like, don't like to broach topics of veganism or something. No, well, but it was you have a, a few. I guess I was more enamored that this young guy was, you know, stepping up to the challenge okay. and asking me questions in return. And I was really enjoying it. But I don't want to have a continued discussion about that topic. Um, I see. I wonder. I'm wondering if someone who has been on the other side makes for a better facilitator. Yes. Someone who you've questioned is now questioning you back in return. Potentially, yeah. They're they're a potentially better conversation partner now because you've built trust. You've showed that you can listen to them. They're going to probably do that the same in return to you. So yeah, there's there's nothing wrong with that. In my experience, if people are only willing to play one side and not both, their growth in SE is much, much slower. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking of two specific people. I'm not going to mention who they are. One who only does questioning and one who only does claims. And um, their growth is a lot slower than everybody else's. Uh, yeah. I'm curious who you're talking about, but I have a couple ideas. What do you suggest if there is no overlap on facts, for example, or in other words, they reject your sources and you reject you, theirs? What do you suggest if there's no overlap on facts? They reject your sources and you reject theirs, says Joshua. Don't our, our facts rarely theirs? come into it. Yeah. 
Well, why are you usually... both rejecting? That means one side's argue, both sides are arguing, yeah, right? That's a different kind of conversation. Yeah, if yeah, you're, shoot if your you're messenger. If you're comparing the facts of the situation, then you're probably not doing SE. It's so hard to shoot your messenger sometimes. <laughs> but there's a time and the and a place for this when you're ready for it, right? Like when they ask for it. What's what's the death? What's the percentage of people who are dying from COVID? Like I'd really like to hear and see your facts for that, because I'm not I'm not vested in it. I really want to understand what the truth is. But if I was really vested in it and we're both presenting our facts, that's where you're going to get the defensiveness. How do you respond to the other person when all their arguments are just based on faith and Bible stories? Asks Don. We can take Bible out of the, just personal stories or stories from a book and, um, and faith. How do you respond when that's all their arguments are based on? Outsider test questions, the feasibility questions. Just test that reason. Yeah. How well does it stand up on other claims? Would take their word for it. There's a paragraph defining faith in there somewhere because yeah. you need to have them define it. You don't want to define it for them. That's a, mm -hmm. that's a that's fool's good errand. Right. You can think of the pie chart. Like if those stories weren't there or faith wasn't available to you, would you, would that affect your confidence in the truth of this claim? Figure out how much of a factor it is. And then if they assign a, a high value or if it would have an impact on them, you can pursue it. Do you use that kind of faith <laughs> anywhere else in your life? Yeah. A lot of people think that when you get to faith, I've, heard, I've, I've seen a lot of this, like, oh, it, the conversation's over. There's not, there's nothing more you can do for them when they bring up faith. And that just baffles my mind. Like that's, that's the beginning. That's the start. Potential, yeah. That's the potential. Yeah. That's the start or, or, or an indication that you're close to the end, mm -hmm. depending mm -hmm. on how they define yeah. it. It depends on, for me, like how long of an interview am I doing? Am, am I on Discord with somebody? Or am I in person with somebody? Are we, are we like three hours into lunch? <laughs> uh, if, if so, then I bring up what outsider tests early on in the conversation. I like to be really transparent about the way I think or the way I like to dig into other people's ideas and appeal to their sense of whether or not outsider tests are a good way of thinking critically about our reasons. If they agree that they're a great way, then that's awesome. And then when I hear faith, I'll just say, hey, remember that outsider test from earlier as like a way to think about how we apply our reasons and how we would feel if other people use those same reasons? Well, yeah. could anyone use faith to conclude some other thing? Or I often wonder about that, Nathan, about how useful it is to Describe too what, you're, what you're doing as you're doing it. Kind of having a meta talk mm. and the talk at the same time, and if that is helpful. And I don't know. I think I can see how it might make somebody more guarded, but I don't know. If somebody were transparent to me, like, and they were yeah. to tell me, like, this is one of the ways I, uh, I think critically about ideas and my reasons for thinking things are true. Um, then I could have a chance to agree or disagree to that. And were somebody to pull that on me in a conversation, I would concede the point probably. But then again, you know, that's uh, an outsider test for that situation. And it's possible that somebody else is not having that mentality. Uh, I found that going meta on the conversation where you're completely setting aside the topic and and you're just talking about talking 
that uh, that that enhances the conversation. Yeah. It's incredibly useful and beneficial for both people when you do that. I'm asking this question, and this is why I'm asking this question, kind of thing. <laughs> That's like a long-term conversation. Usually for five to ten minutes, I wouldn't be so like super transparent about like the way I think because I'm not gonna talk about me. I'm gonna talk about them and their ideas most for that ten minutes. If it's a long two-way conversation and it's back and forth and it comes up, then it's good to be transparent from from my point of view. Yeah. What else we got? Under the moral implications heading, if you get the reason, I fear oblivion, are you ready for that? So I think maybe what do you do when somebody says that mm. I'm afraid of not having this belief, maybe? Is mm -hmm. that a fair? Is that a fair rewrite of that? No, I think I fear. This is where SD becomes psychological. I, I fear death. I fear oh. the cessation of everything. That means if there's and, no heaven, then I don't. Then I don't live on, kind of thing, or mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. oblivion. Yeah. I mean, are you my, ready my for that? You should sure, be ready. ready you that. should be. You need to be ready for that because that often comes up. And that's this sure. Is important and I can have because, compassion for that. Uh, yeah, I can see you know, fearing oblivion totally. Yeah. If there was oblivion, would that change the way you live your life? And how would that how would that change the way you live your life? If there was an end to your consciousness, then would certain things lose value to you? What mm. would those things be? Or gain value? Or yeah, gain value? Change. Would would life be more precious if this wasn't a place for you to wipe your feet before the real life? If this was the one life? How would that change you the way you think things about this life? Different, right? I just heard counter-apologetic yeah. language. <laughs> <laughs> this is only in response to somebody saying that they fear oblivion. Totally. I would be yeah. like, so why do you fear oblivion? Uh, does that, yeah, hmm. there's lots of questions that can come out of that. Sure. I love those actually more meta. What are the consequences of my mind being changed? Those are some of my favorite yeah, I like those lines of yeah. questioning. Yeah. Do you know anyone that doesn't fear oblivion? How do you think that they're managing? What are you missing? If, if you were to one day align with their views, like how would you get there? What would change in your life? I think I could even do an outsider test for like a universalist or uh, an annihilationist, somebody who believes we go to heaven or we go to not, we, uh, th that hell is oblivion, not eternal conscious torment. So if they think that souls are indestructible, can you imagine somebody who believes we go to heaven, but if we go to hell, we're just destroyed and it's all poof. Hmm. Or how, did how you, would how they do you, act different? How do you feel how about... How would they see this moral implication? Yeah. How do you feel Somebody's about... Somebody's sort of in their no, camp. How do you feel about having no consciousness before you were born? That oblivion. Mm. That's actually a more interesting uh, conversation for me. I am far more interested in um, how do like do people choose to be in the predicament they are in at birth, and if not, what are the consequences of that? Mm. To me, that's more of like a meta conversation about compassion. Um, yeah. I think I would explore the fear. Like, mm -hmm. why are you afraid of that? What, how, why are there some people that are not afraid of it? 
I know a lot of reincarnation minded Jewish Buddhists who would not say that we were not conscious before. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> a Jewish Buddhist? Oh, Jew Jews are common in my part of the world. Uh, uh, apparently, uh, Ju Judaism and Buddhism are not conflicting enough that somebody can't hold both of those in their head at once. Cool. <laughs> last yeah, question. Jew Jews are very common in South. Oh, we made it to the end. Yeah. Dang. Yeah. All right. Have you considered how one might apply these or similar principles to public communication for larger groups? For example, Facebook groups, says Miko. I'm thinking of a scenario where the aim of the administrator would be optimal communication of scientifically skeptical thinking about a false belief on some topic or another. I'm reminded of Pierce Watkins' recent three-minute uh, request to somebody public. I'm forgetting to the conservative voice and mm. he does a street epistemology approach requesting that she respond mm. might this be like that he uses se <laughs> in a in an outside of an se context can you go back to the previous have you considered how one might apply these principles of street epistemology to public communication for larger groups that would be good because his request to interview that one specific person might bring people from that specific tribe forward to speak on that person's behalf. Sure. So you could, that, that, yeah, I, I, I liked, uh, I liked Pierce's video. That was a different take on SE. We have, how, how would you scale this for groups? I think is what this question is getting to. We have a practice SE Facebook group that ha that was, that was there for a while, but now it's mostly on discord people doing it in text so I think Discord is your best bet for, you know, large groups. You know, SE practice sessions are what it's all about really yeah. right now. And, and for clarity, 95% of SE practice happens in voice. And a small percentage of it happens in text. I have an unreleased video I, I, I've been thinking about making public. I just haven't uh, made it. I don't know why I haven't made it public. I just haven't gotten around to it. But I, where I interviewed with the survey, I interviewed like 30 people at once. Oh yeah, uh, and then when oh, somebody had an objection to it, I was able to see who that might be, and I was like, "Anybody disagree to that?" Like, apparently, twenty percent of you disagree to it. Does anyone oh, mind raising your hand? Detail? Oh, that's yeah. Cool. And then when that happened, I like somebody else could chime in. Who I was like, "Does anyone agree that could ask a question to to illuminate why there's a disagreement here?" And then somebody else would bring it up, and I just have them mm -hmm. ask each other questions to better understand. And it became was this in a Zoom call that you did about a twenty-minute thing ahead of? Yeah, it was yeah. like this summer. It was like a three-hour thing. Oh, yeah, it was a lot I think of you shared that with me. I really liked it. I hope that goes public. Yeah, we we polled everybody. We didn't get through most of it, and there was I allowed one person to kind of take up a lot of time, <laughs> and maybe that's one of the reasons why I didn't You're post it. Have that. I was like not sure. Yeah, I could edit some of it down a little bit. Oh, there's a the survey group. is really helpful. I'm reminded of a Facebook group that this person, her name is Karen Tamarius, and she T-A-M-E-R-I-U-S. And she has a Facebook page with people from all different types of political persuasions. And she encourages them to come online and she does video chat hangouts. And she explores claims of people who are very pro-Trump or very pro-Bernie or whatever. I think she focuses more on Trump people people who are conservatives, I should say, Trump people. Um, she tries to teach 
the, the, the desired approach, which is very similar to SE. And then she tries to remind the participants to adhere to that. And that's a, probably a really good example where these principles or the, this approach of communication is attempting to be scaled for larger groups. I don't know how successful she is and how we would define success and all that other stuff, but yeah, it, it could be done. But we tend to use it in our own SE groups, don't we? But we need to spill it out beyond the SE community. We need your group on archery practice, right? Should probably be incorporating some of these ideas. Yeah. One minute until three hours. Wow, we did it. We did a Rogan. Excellent. All Yay. right, well, let's wrap it up. Uh, I, yeah, just make, I want to thank, um, thank CFI one more time for inviting me to give this talk on uh, non-confrontational discussions. You can find it on their channel. They have, they have a web page. I think my slides, yep, I'm looking at the website. You can download, download my webinar slides. And uh, then we'll have a link to this video, which is the remainder of the questions that I couldn't get to. Now, this was really cool. Thank you for helping me. That was, that was like a stressful thing because I didn't want to leave those folks hanging. And I thought if I did something myself, I would probably, it would be a year before I got to it. And I'm really glad that you guys uh, helped me answer yeah. those questions. And hopefully that's valuable nice. for people. Seemed yeah. like the perfect format. Yeah. How do we, how do people reach you? You guys want to plug your stuff? All our links are in the description and yeah. Channel names are right here. There you go. Okay. Yeah. All right. And come to the SE discord. We do good. Yes. Things there. Yes. As you, as you can tell, a lot of the questions, the response was, find the communities of people meeting to talk about SD and get involved and engaged and you'll start learning how to navigate this stuff. Yeah. And if you have a iOS device, uh, join clubhouse and we're doing more SE stuff there. It's really cool. Yeah. We created and a remember a to go to Nathan's channel and subscribe and ding the bell. <laughs> ding the bell. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He, you and I have had that conversation. <laughs> Definitely subscribe. Oh yeah, it's it's oh, an ongoing headbanging that you and I are having, which is very friendly and pleasant. And fun. Oh, are you guys in a competition for subscribers? No, this? no, no. I hold. If the we ask the audience, uh, that... <laughs> if we ask the audience yeah. to like this video, and they happen to like it more than the other videos, would that change your confidence that asking the audience to like our videos would be a good idea? I think it's a bad thing because. Uh, <laughs> overall engagement fraction goes down. Pine oh, Creek is my if, example. It, engagement goes down? Okay. If we yes, get more if likes and more views. That only subscribe to you because you asked. They are less engaged <laughs> than people who did it on their own. And um, Pine Creek is my oh. data. So you oh, you mean for like people who follow in the comments and stuff? You want the super fans, the people who are most engaged to subscribe. I want the people that are the most engaged who don't have to be reminded uh, to subscribe. And therefore, my engagement relative to my subscribers is yeah. higher. Yeah. Okay. My okay. proportional engagement is higher because I have the diehards. You want people to want to watch your stuff, not have to cajole people into liking your stuff. <laughs> Yeah. And I expect only a small fraction yeah. of people are actually nudged away from their normal behavior by that, yeah. but it's enough to show up in your stats. Yeah. And if you've made it this far, you are a super SE fan. Yeah. Holy yeah. crap. Yes. Yeah, yeah, right. You're yeah. amazing. You're Thank you. I want to You've reached master level. <laughs> mm -hmm. Heck yeah. That being said, uh, thank you everyone for watching. This was really fun to, to, uh, to sit down with some of my friends and go over these questions that we tend to get and get a little bit more of a, a different perspective on it. Thanks a lot. We'll do this Looking again. For the next time. Yeah. Yeah.
The Street Epistemology Podcast is a production of Street Epistemology International. You can donate or learn more about this nonprofit organization at streetepistemologyinternational.org. The views, guests, and topics expressed here, or not expressed here, do not necessarily represent those of the organization.